Directors in Jeopardy. I knew exactly what I wanted, but I couldn't verbalize it clearly. So I just kept repeating the direction and the performance got worse and worse. How do I establish credibility with actors in the first day of rehearsal? How do I keep a performance consistent? Get them there and keep them there. I think I talk too much. <laughs> I've been told I talk too much. <laughs> it's easy for me to direct someone right out of a role and tell them too much. Uh, these are just a few quotes from the introduction of a book that has really inspired me as a director and as a creative. Um, I don't know how many of you listening did your homework during COVID. Um, I stumbled across a series of books by today's guest, the amazing Judith Weston. Now, Judith has been, uh, for over 35 years, Judith has brought tools and confidence to filmmakers and actors with books, workshops, and one-on-one -on -one consultations. She has taught thousands of TV and film directors and actors, and her books, Directing Actors in the Film Director's Intuition, um, have changed the way that people make movies. I stumbled across her stuff, accidentally really. I think I was just going through Instagram and I follow uh, Adam Egypt uh, Mortimer. He's the guy who did uh, Daniel Isn't Real and Arch Enemy. Um, and uh, he did a post about how this book and how Judith really changed his life. Now, I've said it on the show, I'm not allowed to get into specifics, but I've said it on the show that I'm prepping a movie and I'm prepping a film that hopefully will go into production later this year. And I have been directing for about 20 years now and I have been directing commercials and music videos and short films and proof of concept films. I've been slowly building up my confidence, my skills, my toolbox as I talk about on the show all the time um, to get to that point when I feel confident enough to helm a ship that is worth a few million dollars. Um, and for me, uh, I didn't, I went to a film school. They didn't teach me shit about directing. They didn't teach me anything about directing. Let's be real about it. I think I, I learned more about producing. I learned more about staying motivated. I learned more about getting things done. As far as directing was concerned, we had a very simplistic little class that was going through a textbook on directing. And then we had a director who was a great guy teaching the class, but he was just sort of, what kind of questions do you have? Paraphrasing it. Um, and that kind of worked for me as I got into commercials, but I found myself sort of floundering when it was when I was dealing with actors because I'm a very technical guy. I'm a dude that comes from the photography world. I'm a guy that was a cinematographer for a while. You've heard me talk about it a hundred times. Um, but when it came to actors and acting, it was such a mythical thing. I felt like I felt like I was trying to lasso a unicorn and teach it English most of the time when I was doing that. Um, and so I found that I was always working my way in from the back door, you know, like trying to teach myself how to do something, trying to watch behind the scenes pieces. Like how did David Fincher tell Brad Pitt to be a badass in Fight Club? You know, like digging my way around to find stuff that I could that I could steal, that I could take, that I could learn from. Um, and oftentimes I'd find myself uh, plunging into things that I didn't know how to do, right? 
And that's part of this business where you really don't get an opportunity to do it until you can do it. And half the time you have to just go, yeah, I can do that, even though you can't. And then desperately you're looking for YouTube videos, all you young listeners out there on how to do it. Um, and that's an easy thing to do if you're trying to figure out how to get a red camera booted up, or if you're trying to figure out how to export a sequence at a premiere. But when you're talking about people and you're talking about actors, it's different. And my early films suffer from this. You see me floundering my way through it. And the thing with Judith's book, when I started reading her book, her first few chapters talk about young directors, young filmmakers, and all of the things that we rely on when we're not good, right? So more often than not, I found myself turning to, to technology, right? Because I have to, I'm doing a short film, I have to get people's attention, and what can I control? I can control the camera and the lighting and the production design. I can make $20 look like it costs $2,000 to do these things, and that's my focus. And as long as I find these mythical unicorns and sort of corral them onto my set, you know, and leave some, what do they eat, like Skittles and shit? Leave some Skittles on the floor and they sort of walk over and they, they stand in front of the camera where you need them to stand and then I make sure I light them the right way and I get enough coverage and I'm building my performances in the edit room. And that's how I started because I had never taken acting class before. I had never been involved with actors before. It's very much a technical guy coming at this with a technical mind. Then years progress, right? And I'm directing commercials. I'm doing casting sessions. Remember the first time I did a casting session, the casting director came over to me and said, Hey, uh, what would you like them to do? Do you want to give them specific lines from the script? Like, what would you like them to do? And I was like, oh, fuck. I had this moment in my head going, well, well, yeah. <laughs> and I had to like keep that in me because I didn't want to project that in front of a panel of clients that was sitting behind me. And I was like, I think that's a great idea. I think maybe we should have them read some of the lines from this scene. I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about, right? I had no idea and I had to learn it. And then luckily we were doing some sort of casting session that required 150 people come through the room. I started to find a groove, but I, I wasn't focusing on what I needed to focus on in a casting session. I was more concerned about making people comfortable. I was more concerned about giving them the opportunity to do their reads. I didn't know how to give them direction. I didn't know what I, I should be looking for other than do I like them or do I not like them? So everything was incredibly primal for me. Turns out that accidentally I was doing some things correctly, but I was doing a lot of things incorrectly. Fast forward to where I'm doing movies. I'm doing 12KM, I'm doing who's there concept stuff. I got really fucking lucky with 12KM because I, I, I was lucky enough to cast actors that knew how to process my bullshit direction into something that was workable for them into something that they could translate on that screen. And then I being the, you know, innocent, dumbass director, <laughs> I'm sitting there going like, wow, okay, great. This is good performances. Did I, help? did I empower them with that? And then I walk over and I offload all this hefty, heady bullshit to this poor actor who has to take this thing and translate it into actionable, like an actionable task. I got really lucky with that and I learned from that. I learned 
to the edit room and talking with the actors, what I did right and what I didn't do right. But the learning process is really slow that way. And I kept saying to myself, like, what do I do? Fast forward to this year. Fast forward to the potential of making a, a big feature film with a lot of people on the line. On the line talking to people who know what the fuck they're doing. People that have worked with really amazing directors. The laundry list of directors. And I'm in that space with my 20 years of experience knowing that gutturally, I know how to make a great film. Technically, I know how to put something together that people are going to want to watch. But also, I have to come to terms. There's a come to Jesus moment with myself where I go, am I as good with dealing with actors as I am with editing? Am I as good with this as I am as a cinematographer? I'm not. So there's this moment that I had where I'm like, I need to figure this out. Now, this was always subconscious. It's that, that little bit of anxiety that I couldn't quite pick. Like, it was, it was like, am I not doing my prep? I should sit down and do prep. How do I do prep for my movies? Well, I would sit down and make shot lists first. And I would go through the process of making my shot list and then do storyboards and then put these things together. So I would outline what I thought the movie was going to look like, says the old cinematographer, right? And that's how I started on my stuff. But then I was like, okay, well, wh what is the motivation? What I want to make sure that every shot has emotional meaning. And am I doing that right now? Or am I just recreating shots from other films that I think had that emotional meaning and I'm trying to put them into my film? Sound familiar? Everybody that makes a fucking movie right now, right? So I happened to stumble across this post. I happened to see that this director was incredibly impressed with this author. And it just so happened that her book was also on Audible because I'm a big idiot and I have a lot of trouble sitting down and reading a book and not falling asleep. And I was like, I got a bunch of credits available on Audible. Yeah, I'll just grab this. I've got nothing going on right now. The entire world is afraid of coughing on each other and dying. So I'm just going to sit in here and listen to this book. Why the fuck not? That's what I did. And in the first few chapters, she called out everything I just talked about. She literally called it all out and then, and then said, on top of it all, as I, that person that is defined in that, am working with larger actors and bigger actors and actors that have worked with other directors, they will smell that on you instantly, right? That's like, <laughs> that's like showing up to an agent's meeting wearing shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> that's what that is. And I say that because I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys hear chuckling next to me, I'm hanging out today with my good buddy, Lance Williams, actor, now directing a bunch. Yeah, yeah, just starting to get into it a little more. Hell yeah. And Lance is on today's show because he was one of the first dudes that I called up and I went, dude, I'm reading these books. It's changing my shit. Yeah, and then I read or listened to the first one and blew my mind. Even as, as coming from a dominantly acting background, I think I've told every other actor that I've spoken to after listening to it that you need to put down whatever else you're reading and doing. Just go get this book. I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm not a director. I'm like, no, no, no. But there's so much valuable information in there because if, if we can understand what the directors are trying to get after, then we're already ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. you know. And then we can go do our own homework and go, oh, so alternates. Okay, so let me think about alternates. Or, oh, okay, action verbs instead of emotion. Okay, so let me think about those verbs on my own. And then we can show up on the day with some things already ready to go if the director comes over and says and gives you an action verb, you can go, ah, 
giving me verbs. Great. Okay, I know what to do here. You know, it's just having this better suited. It's like it's is invaluable. I think it's, it's ugh, I can go on and on all day about this book. <laughs> I fucking love this book. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is that you're sitting here throwing things out like action verbs. How many of you listening know what that is? How many of you listening know what codec the red camera sheets with? And how many of you listening don't know what action verbs are? And then how many of you consider yourself a director? Mm. I did, right? There hit a point where I was a terrible student. I hated English class. I hated that stuff. And as I'm going through this book, I remember saying to Gina, like, oh, God, I hate myself. I got what are fucking action verbs? <laughs> Literally thinking like a guy who's flipping through a manual for a camera as I started to read yeah. this book. And I think the most fascinating portion of this book and the exercises that she has on script breakdown, the exercises she has on uh, getting a great performance out of, a, of an actor, more importantly, connecting with actors. Um, is that it starts to break down that mindset. Like after doing this research and work for the past, what, three months, my entire mindset has changed completely as a director. Oh, 100%. And the thing that, that really kind of blew me away was that I brought this book up to a bunch of other directors and they're mm -hmm. like, yeah, I got that in film school. I'm like, did you read it? And they're like, no, is it any good? <laughs> Well, you know, most people nowadays, they want to read the comment section and be told if it's good or bad. And they're like, oh, enough people like it. I think that's worth my time. I, enough people don't read this. And um, so, look, I, I don't want to be one of those guys. I, I have a bunch of old roommates that did this. They would get, like, wowed by... Uh, I, I have current roommates slash girlfriends that do this where they get wowed by like an Instagram post and it's like, this will change your life. And then the next thing you know, you're fucking just ranting about it and you're like, mm -hmm. God, if I only got those sneakers with toes, then my posture would be better and all that kind of bullshit. Is that, that, is that true? Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, that, that was a thing. It was a thing for a while. Um, but I, you know, being very cynical East Coast dude, I was like, look, before I start to get super excited about this, um, let me ask a bunch of other directors that are working in the industry. And I, I talked with our uh, prior guest. Um, uh, Jesus, my brain just shut down. Norman Buckley. So I talked with Norman Buckley about it because he was on the show. He's been directing for hundreds of hours on set for television. He's done, um, you know, uh, shows where he's definitely not the creator. He just sort of walks in. He's for hire. And this book did a really interesting job of telling you what your job is as far as prep is concerned when you're a TV director and how you pull that apart. And I, I found that fascinating. So I said to Norm, I'm like, dude, I'm reading this book. What kind of prep do you do? Do you do the kind of prep that they're talking in this, in this book? He goes, oh, Judith Weston's books? I go, yeah. He goes, I know Judith. I've worked with Judith. I've taken her courses. She's amazing. You wouldn't believe the other directors in Hollywood that take her one-on-one -on -one courses and that she helps break down scripts with. And I was like, mm. yeah. And he goes, you should read her other book. Immediately. Like, immediately. He was just, he didn't even hesitate. He's like, you should read her other book. You got to read the, uh, um, the film director's intuition, which I'm like halfway through right now, which is fucking rad. Um, and so after hearing that, I'm like, okay, all right. This is a big deal. Like, I should be doing this. And I don't know how to convey it. We're going to try to do so when Judith gets on this show. Here's the challenge of today's episode. I want this episode to be fucking nine hours long. <laughs> I really do. Judith has so much stuff that she shares with you in this book. So much hard and textural uh, uh, lessons and uh, resources to get your brain stimulated, to shut off 
that instruction manual mindset and to get you into reimagining things. And through this process, I realized that somewhere along the line, I forgot to be the five-year-old kid with action figures. Uh, and this process has brought me back to that. And her steps, even though they seem a little ridiculous at first, when you read them, you realize that they're not there to give you the answers. They're there to change your mindset. They're there to open your brain to stuff. And I've gone through and built out my own exercise that I do for every fucking scene in my script. Right now, I'm breaking down an 88-page script that I've only done my first pass on it. I have 147 pages of notes. Um, and every time I do these mundane tasks, they just open my brain up and they've changed. Like, I've come up with amazing backstory for my mm. characters. I've come up with imaginative um, backstory. I've come up with uh, images and imagery that I want from this stuff. And as you sort of dive down, one of my favorite things, and you guys can hear all about this, but one of my favorite things is uh, coming up with three different versions of a line, like three Ooh, different yeah. meanings. It's so it's so useful. It, it, there was a, a short that I did a few years ago, and I had the thought, I was like, you know, I'm going to figure out like how I'm saying this line in different ways, just so I can have that to pull on. <clears throat> and I went from writing different um meanings behind it like oh pensive or inciting like you know just different shit like that and i was like what if i just like what if i say, I say something different mm -hmm. and just having those things in the pocket when we went to go shoot and like oh and director gives me a note it's not the scene's not working for some reason I'm like god oh, this line's weird I'm like oh great i've already thought of like three other ones like you have like yeah like it's, and then I'm like, oh, no, it's not because the writing's bad sorry i just it was for me and now i got it for you sorry <laughs> but it's so helpful when the moment comes it's like it's like you have it what was that phrase uh better to have it not need it than need it and not have it exactly exactly mm -hmm. exactly and then that process so what what we're talking about is uh there's this exercise where you take a mysterious line you can do it for all the lines in the scenes which mm -hmm. i started to do mm -hmm. But you take a mysterious line, a line that doesn't make sense to you, or a line that you can't really kind of figure out the meaning or where it's going. You take that line and you write down three different versions of what you think that line means. And oftentimes I'll start with what I first think that line means, like, you know, grab the gun, get the gun and shoot that guy in the face. I'll just mm -hmm. write that down. And that's mm -hmm. essentially what that means. But uh, one of my favorite steps on that is that you have to pick the polar opposite of that. Mm -hmm. some Some meaning that... It, you obviously know that it doesn't mean some yeah. random thing like, you know, grab the gun because I want to sell it at a flea market. You know what I mean? Or grab the gun means open the door. Some ridiculous thing that you write yeah, down. Yeah, you talked about the, getting to that free flow. Yeah. Where you just kind of allow yourself to go anywhere with your thoughts. And some of it is going to not make sense at all. But you do that so that as you kind of suss through those ideas, you eventually start to get closer and closer to, oh, okay, now these are starting to feel like they've got some real weight here. Yeah. You know, but if you try to aim for like the perfect thing right out the gate, it's, you just hit the wall. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times with me, when I come up with that backwards thing, mm -hmm. I go, actually, this is not a bad idea. Yeah. And then the backwards thing starts to trigger everything else. And then I start going back to other scenes and I'm like, okay, I really like that backwards idea. So let me go back to these other scenes and see if I can make that work. Because now it has taken such a flat line or a flat scene and mm -hmm. given it texture mm -hmm. and given it a decision. Yeah. You know? Um, so anyway, we're, we're ranting and raving because we're very excited about it. Uh, I'm excited to have Judith on the show. I reached out to her on Instagram just to thank her for writing these books. And she got back to me immediately. Um, and she's, she's a sweet, sweet person. I talked to her on the phone. So I can't wait to introduce all you guys to this because we talk about 
a variety of different things on this show, but I feel like today's episode may be the most helpful episode for those of you that want to be a director. Now, of course, we're not going to be able to tackle any all this shit, so I highly suggest you go sign up for a free trial at Audible, right? By the way, you can sign up for a free trial, support the show. If you go to audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process, the link will be embedded below the episode. Uh, but if you sign up for 30 days for free, if you haven't done so somewhere else, you can sign up for 30 days for free. You'll get a free audio book. You can get Judith's book, Directing Actors, for free on Audible. And uh, for 30 days, you got it. Get access to all sorts of other content from Audible as well. Um, and I'm telling you, you're going to love it. She reads the book. She does a great job. I feel like I know her. Hearing her voice on our show today is going to be like every time I'm riding my bike in the morning and I'm listening to her book. <laughs> it's like an old friend. Yeah. She's, her and I have known each other for, I don't know, how many hours at this point? <laughs> yeah. 16 hours already. Um, <clears throat> but definitely sign up for a free trial on Audible. Get the book. And uh, if you prefer to be... Uh, someone that reads. I actually bought the books because there's a bunch of important stuff in there that I needed to highlight as I was going. I found myself going through my script and going, ah, what am I supposed to do with this? And having to go back and go through my highlighted material. So uh, we'll have all the links for that below the episode. Um, and uh, that's it. Enough fucking ranting. What do you say? We get into enough. the episode? Enough. Yeah, enough. <laughs> enough. <laughs> I talk too much. <laughs> Oh, what a good callback. <laughs> All right. So, you know the deal. Turn up those noise-canceling headphones uh, and grab a fucking notepad and a pen because you're going to be taking notes on today's episode of In Love With The Process. Judith, thank you for being on the show with us today. Wow. Mike, thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Glad uh, to be here. Um, I, was, I was very happy that uh, you agreed to be on the show. And uh, uh, I just talked about it in the intro um, this year, uh, prepping for what hopefully is my first feature. I, and then having all this time with COVID and the lockdown, um, I was just feeling a lot of anxiety about preparation. And I found... Uh, your book accidentally I actually found your book posted by Adam the guy who directed um, uh, Daniel isn't real and stuff he had posted about yeah. it um, yeah and uh, curiously I was just like oh, let me check it out and it helped that it was on audible because <laughs> I could listen to it when I was riding my bike um, and I immediately you just defined me as a young director within the first few chapters and I was like oh, I've been doing this for 20 years and I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> it's like instant <laughs> Well, when I tell people, you know, the, the, the first chapter, the result direction and quick fixes is, is kind of a shock sometimes to people. And, um, and I, I have to admit, I wanted to get people's attention. I didn't want to scare them, though. I mean, uh, I, I know sometimes people get scared, and I did not want to scare them, but I did want to get their attention. Well, so. you, well you got mine. I almost continued riding my bike right off the Hollywood sign. <laughs> <Just continued. laughs> uh, but uh, no, the book has been such a blessing for me um, on a bunch of different levels, because as I read through it, there are so many different chapters that address 
a lot of what I feel like has been lacking um, in my career. And I'm sure you've heard this with all the directors that you've ever sort of coached. Like my uh, origin story comes from a like sort of a backdoor entrance into this career where I was never really officially trained. I never worked with actors. I'd never done any acting myself. And the only stuff that I could sort of wrap my hands around in Boston, a small like non-production uh, town at the time, was like how to shoot, how to use the gear, how to do this sort of technical stuff. And and, uh -huh. and, and I think that's my origin story for it. And I know that a lot of the people listening to this show are like, I'll go on YouTube, I'll learn how to unpack a camera, I'll set the thing up, and now I'm a director. And it's this whole thing. Um, and so I think it's important um, to, I, I found it important to read your book because after reading your book in three months of prep, it's completely changed my mindset as a director and it's completely changed my mindset with prep and with everything. So I thank you so much for writing the book. Well, good. I, I, well, thank you for saying that. That that was my goal. I, I, I did want to let directors know that there is a craft, that there's, uh, that, that, that there's uh, things to learn, that, uh, you know, that I, I think, I mean, there is a kind of prevailing idea that if you have a pencil, you can write. And if you can walk and talk, then you can act. <laughs> and if you can, and if you can, uh, if you like telling people what to do, then you can direct. <laughs> and um, it's it's there is actually a, a craft to it. And um, so, I, and I love to introduce people to it, like the the new book, the 25th anniversary edition, which is the newest iteration of my efforts to. Um, Put, put out some of these ideas. Um, you know, it's, it's longer <laughs> because <laughs> I keep getting, I keep trying new, new ways to, to present it and, and, and clarify it. Um, yeah, but there's, there's a lot to it. I guess I get started. There's a lot to it. It, 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 and it, and it has to do with, with understanding people, of course. So that, that's always interesting to me. I, I, I never get tired of that. Well, I keep I, I've said on the show a couple times that like directing and, and being in this in this profession is one of the most social jobs that you can take. And it's fun. It's ironic because a lot of the time, like a lot of directors are very sort of introverted, you know, like art nerds. <laughs> so like having to figure out how to project and how to figure out how to read people and then understanding like what you're projecting emotionally on set and all that stuff is uh, been sort of an accidental study of mine for doing this for so long. And then um, realizing how much of that is involved with getting great performances and making sure that you're making a set in which you can uh, allow these performances to flourish is is really important. It's, so it's all, I guess I'm, I'm going about the long rambling way of saying that it is all social. And it's, it's interesting and uh, assuring to hear that you are continuing to update this book because I feel like this business in general, we're constantly learning. And just when you think you know something, then the iceberg shifts and then everything falls apart again and you're trying to relearn how it all works, you know? Well, I feel like making a movie is a process. I, I feel like the best reason for making a movie is to learn something about yourself. Mm. And uh, so I always, when you know, I work with clients, uh, sometimes writer directors or directors who are preparing to uh, to make their movie. And and uh, that's always my point of view is let's find out what you can learn about yourself by making this movie. Mm. And 
and encourage the actress to feel that way too. Uh, yeah, I, 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 one of the, I love what you say about how social directing is and how few directors think of it that way. Uh, you know, they kind of really get in their heads with their ideas. But um, it, uh, I find it quite surprising how reluctant directors are to talk to actors. Mm. You know, they, they'll put it off and put it off. And sometimes when I'm working with a director, I say, well, this is something that you should talk to the actor about, you know. And then they'll say, well, okay, okay I'll wait. I'll wait till we get here. You know, I'll, I'll wait for <laughs> some time. Especially now that everybody's doing Zoom, you, you should do it right now. I, I, I have to keep telling people you should start talking to your, your lead actors immediately and, to, and as often as you possibly can. And to use, um, you, you know, I mean, I think of Zoom as a uh, this weird uh, silver lining or side benefit to the pandemic because it's so <laughs> much easier than Skype used to be. And, um, and, and so you can have meetings with actors that were harder to get in the old days, you know, that the, the, the actors agents could find a million excuses why the why the actor couldn't meet with you, um, you know, in your in an office, say. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, but but on on Zoom, um, you know, it's so much easier to set up a meeting. Yeah. And uh, uh, and and then and then sometimes I'll find directors will will say, well, yeah, I wrote her an email about that. Yike! You know, I just want to scream. You know, I just want to say, don't. Have you sent it already? You know, please don't. You know, because um, the, the email is just the worst way to communicate anything of substance and anything emotional. Yeah, it's the worst way to communicate anything emotional. Yeah. Uh, my experience is that I mean, I love email, of course. It's very, very uh, texting, email, all that is wonderful for for setting things up and for communicating. Uh, uh, simple things, but um, but for communicating anything emotional, anything that can be misunderstood, uh, my experience with trying to communicate anything emotional by e email is that anything that can be misunderstood will be misunderstood. Uh -huh. That is the rule, and uh, so so don't get, you know. But but people have to get used to saying things, hard things, sometimes face to face, and hearing and hearing them face to face. And you know, I, I think that's that that's a challenge for a lot of people in, in any profession. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because there, there's this sense of honesty, and there's this sense of vulnerability that you need to have, oftentimes with a stranger, especially when you're directing or or if you're acting. Yeah. It's it's like having that ability to shed those those walls that you put up and, and look someone in the eyes and go like, "This is what I'm feeling," you know. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, and of course, actors are so much better at it than than directors. Sometimes, sometimes we have our days where it's not happening. <laughs> yeah, but when actors are together, yeah, chatter, 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 right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm talking about actors when they're in their own group. When actors are with their 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 own people, yeah, yeah. they're uh, you know, and they're talking about really, you know crazy things very very easily and yeah. when you meet when you're an actor and you meet another actor you know you've got a lot in common and uh and and i think that directors sometimes see the actors on the set you know grouped together chatter 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 and they feel left out <laughs> and uh and then they they think oh 
gosh, you know, there's an actor world and I, I'm not allowed in it. And, but you know, actors are very, very, I, I love actors and they're, and they're very welcoming to anybody who wants to be in the world. You know, if you say, gosh, I, I want to talk to you, they'll say, oh, ask me a question. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I, I was saying to Lance at the beginning of the, when we were doing the intro, that when I started directing years ago, I always saw, I saw actors as like these pretty little unicorns, like I had like this herd of unicorns and I didn't want to go over and scare them away because I needed them to be on set. <laughs> kind of the way. I know, I know, I know. They're, they're different from other people. We, I should say. I mean, I'm an actor. That's right. So That's right. We are different from mm. other people. Uh, well, well, mentioning that, um, let's talk a little bit about your history and where you come from. So, did you you started as an actor, correct? That's how you got into this profession. That's right. That's right. I started as an actor, but not when I was really young. Well, you know, when I was a little kid, I did. I was always setting up little theatricals, but but I didn't. Uh, uh, I didn't get into acting until I was about twenty five. Mm-hmm. This was in the seventies. And um, uh, and, I, and I don't know if I would have, except that I f- came across this amazing teacher. Her name was Jean Shelton in San Francisco, or actually in Berkeley, was where I came across her. And um, you know, it was a time when everybody was kind of casting about, like everybody was looking for gurus. <laughs> you know, 1971, actually, and and. Um, uh, and I met a friend of mine. I just moved to I just moved to Oakland from New York City, mm-hmm. and um, I was really I didn't know what I was doing, and I wasn't happy. I was I, I I I regretted leaving New York, where I had been very happy, and uh, and I was living with people who I didn't get along with, and a terrible job, Ugh. and and um, and then this. Uh, woman that I'd known in New York, I just ran into her on the street and she said, there is this amazing teacher and you must come. And so, um, so I went just looking, I was just looking for a direction. I was just looking for a teacher. I was just looking for some truth mm-hmm. in life. I, I, uh, um, and, and there she was speaking truth about people <laughs> and, and only, you know, characters and uh, and everything she said about the characters just felt okay. Finally, I'm around people who are saying true things because the people I I didn't know that many people, and the people that I did know were I, I don't know they I didn't feel like they were telling me that what they really thought about anything. Yeah. And and um, and anyway, but she Jean used to say, or she used to say to me, I don't know if she said this to everybody. She said. You know, acting is not pretending. Everybody thinks that actors are liars, but they're not. When you're in acting, you get to be more truthful than you get to be in real life. Because in real life, we've got the social mask. And and when you're acting, you get to be more truthful. Mm. So, and that was what I was craving. I was craving a place where I could be truthful. And I, I, I always felt more alive on stage mm-hmm. than, um, than in social activity. I always, you know, I never felt comfortable at parties. So, um, yeah, so that it was, it was a real uh, 
life-changing experience. It, I, it just oriented everything in my life with, with that. My, my classes and my rehearsals for classes and reading and my excursions to used bookstore where I, where, where I, would, just, I would just clean them out of every play <laughs> that they had on the shelves and uh, just read everything. And yeah. That's a beautiful. So that, that was how I started. That was how I started. That, that's a beautiful origin story. <laughs> it's a really beautiful origin story because so many young folks, I remember being a young kid trying to find my direction too and try to find a teacher. And for years I was, believe it or not, I was on the completely other end of the spectrum and I was like a car mechanic and an airplane mechanic and I was in shops and I was around folks. Uh-huh. And I found my, my my guys when I was younger that way. But and, and so many people end up turning to like alcohol and drugs and partying to sort of let down those social walls and those inhibitions. And it just seems like acting is... I guess a more healthy version of that, if you can call acting a healthy, yeah, yeah, acting is a healthy thing, right? It's not a destructive well, thing. See, I absolutely feel that acting is healthier than than people think it is. Mm. I, I think that, you know, uh, everybody's got their um, need for drama. <laughs> and if you do, and they create drama in their real life if they don't have an opportunity to create it on stage. Yeah. That's, that's what I think. So I, I think... I think people, I think actors are healthier. I mean, they may be driven to work out things because they have problems that may be true, but, but they're, I don't know, they're, it's much healthier, certainly, well, much healthier than drugs. <laughs> much healthier. <laughs> yeah, one would hope. <laughs> yeah. You know, unless you're Christian Bale losing like all that weight for the yeah. machinist, then it's like, I don't know, how healthy is that? Well, it's it's a good point because in your book, I think you even say it where you equate an acting class to being a sort of therapy. And when you come out of the acting classes, it does feel like that. You know, you have that moment where even if there's maybe a day where you just have a scene when you reach a place and you emote in a certain way and you go, wow, I didn't realize I had that on me and I need to get that off of me. And you just leave class. And I've I've had this conversation with so many other actors in class where we leave and we're like, man, we had a great class today. I feel so good right now. And other people will be, we were just crying for 30 minutes. Like, yeah, but I just feel really good because I just got that off of me. <laughs> and it is people. such a, such a like, beautiful therapy that we get to have. I know. I know. That, that's another thing that happens with directors. When they see actors crying, they get worried. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, like, no, I feel really good right now. Let me keep crying. What are the unicorn? <laughs> what are the unicorns doing over there? Why are they all crying? That's how, that's how distant I felt when I started doing it. Where I was like, what's going on? Well, are, you, are you breaking through that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I luckily, you know, what did it for me? Cause I, I've done a bunch of commercials and stuff. Uh, you know, the only way to direct a movie is if you have the ap- opportunity to direct a movie, you convince people to do it. And then the rest of the time, I, for years, I was trying to teach. Or I, was, I was saying to myself that I'm learning. This is what I'm doing is I'm learning and I'm learning all these techniques by doing commercials and music videos and all that. And eventually I, th- I found out that I was hiding for a few years in that. Um, but uh, when I started directing kids, so when I started to do commercials with children, uh-huh. and I, the, the children aspect... There was this one, this weird stuff. There was this one shoot that I did with this kid, a uh, very young girl, um, under the age of like 10 or 12, like young kid, young girl. And uh, she got halfway through the day and she was just really, uh, she just was very being very temperamental. She was done. She was finished. She was, she had it. 
And I went down and, and before that, like everybody was sort of talking to her like she was a child. And they were all sort of like, are you okay? And what's happening? Blah, 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 blah. And uh, I remember just while the room sort of cleared out, I just got down on my knee right next to her and I looked at her and I said, you hate me, don't you? And she goes, yes. She goes, yes, I do. And I go, uh, yeah, I, I can tell that you hate me. Uh, well, here's the thing. If you just do this thing, figure out how to do this thing the right way, you never have to see me again. And she goes, <laughs> and she goes okay. And then she just murdered what she needed to do. And then afterwards, we became really fun friends, and we were laughing. And I, I just realized, like, hey, look, jerk, you're supposed to be involved. And, and so... From that experience, I realized that there is this other world that is actually my job, which is interacting with these people, trying to get on their level, trying to understand, be empathetic with what they're going through, um, and try to have an understanding of the fact that this is a, a person and not a computer. This is a person and not a camera. I can't walk up to the back of Lance's back and go like, turn that down and, and be a little bit I might less. get hired more if that was the, <laughs> if that was the case. <laughs> Uh, but that was that was the moment for me that I was really then jumping in heavily and and hanging out more with the talent in the morning and less with the crew in the morning. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I think that's a good thing. I I, I think that's a wonderful story about uh, you and that that kid. Um, you know, I it's you you literally got down on her level you know and you uh told the truth to her <laughs> and um so then then everything is possible and um oh that's one thing in the new book there's a chapter on directing children that um which which hasn't been in there before mm -hmm. just wanted just wanted to sneak that in <laughs> <laughs> the, sell away it's fine <laughs> but um uh, yeah. Oh, can I mention another thing? I, I don't mean to sound critical of, of you, but but actors, we don't, we don't like to be called the talent. We, we like to be called actors. People. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about Finally, someone that. said this. Finally. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's an odd sort of term because when you get on set, we think, well, everyone here is talented. You know, everyone's... I see guys or gals with the camera go, I can't do that over there. I do what I do over yeah. here. And we all have this thing. And when it gets you, you're the talent, there's like this sort of weird fit patronizing thing that gets attached to yeah. it. And I'm like, yeah, nah, man, like if you know my name, you can just call me Lance. It's like calling the script the content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it just always just gives me a little weird feeling. Yeah. We're, we're people, we're actors. Mm -hmm. That's our job. What's our craft. And, um, yeah. Did you Thanks. want to see, be seen as more than just like the human furniture? Exactly. Well, exactly. That's what it boils down to. We don't want to be seen as just the human furniture. Yeah. And look, coming from the commercial world, that's where it comes from for me. The commercial world is like, I don't know how many times I've been in casting sessions and, and trying to connect with actors there. And then I turn back to a panel of like people that are half on their phones going like, I don't like her hair. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. so it's like so incredibly specific. And so that term, the talent is a term that like clients use consistently. And more often than yeah. more often than not, it's like the producer or an associate producer will walk on set and go, everybody, the talent is here, which essentially means like, please don't scare off the unicorn. You know what I mean? Like it's, that's what's coming out of their mouth when they when you have that. And those slogans get stuck with you. And you know, so if I use that 
I apologize. <laughs> I didn't mean to make you feel like you can't. No, Mike, you're canceled now. It's, that's it. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's canceled. Okay. No, um, but, you know, it's also, there's another word that's constantly used. It's the word rehearsal. And um, that, that's also not a, an accurate word. It's a word that comes from another um Discipline. It comes from ballet. You know, it comes from mm. ballet, and it comes from the symphony, and it comes from theater, where you have to repeat. You know, it has the you know the first uh, syllable R E, like like repeat, repeat, mm-hmm. repeat, repeat, and re- the repetition is. And, and I actually, I think, I think in French, French, I think it's actually called repetition, <laughs> and um, you, you know that you have to repeat, repeat, repeat until it's you know you know it cold. And um, which is completely necessary for ballet and symphony and theater and absolute kind of opposite of uh, film uh, film rehearsal. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, you know, if you do have time for rehearsal, one of the reasons why people avoid rehearsal is because they don't know how to do it. They're afraid they'll do it wrong. And if they don't know how to do it, they probably will do it wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, they probably will just repeat, repeat, repeat until it gets like sort of, oh, that's perfect. Do it just the same way when we get in front of the camera. Mm. And, you know, that's a kiss of death for actors They're, because it just strikes them with terror and um, that they won't be able to, you know, manufacture the same the same effect. But um, but rehearsal for film is, is, you know, much more like, well, I use the metaphor gardening sometimes, you know, uh, sowing seeds, mm-hmm. uh, digging around, the, you know, digging around in the dirt and and. Uh, fertilizing and composting and uh, investigating and trying something and then trying something else and uh, and creating connections, you know, creating connections for, uh, between the uh, actors, mm-hmm. very, you know, the listening, the connection between the actors, getting connection between the actors and the director uh, and both ways, the director connecting to the actors, the actors connecting to the director. And then, of course, Everybody connecting more and more deeply to the characters and the and the situations. So, uh, uh, yeah. So rehearsal is another funny word. Like you're saying, that that expression, the talent, comes from comes from commercials and it's used by clients. And rehearsal comes from uh, you know, uh, it's been borrowed for film, but it's really not the same thing as its history. <clears throat> I I got very fortunate. Uh, when I was doing my my films, that I worked with actors that knew how to process my real crappy direction, <laughs> knew how to guide me correctly, and so I was taught. When I did Twelve Kilometers, I did that short. I was taught by Ernst, who was an amazing. He he died last year, I think. He was amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah, amazing actor from stage in Russia, and he had uh, was there, sort of teaching me and guiding me. Uh, through what he needed for the rehearsals. And essentially, I just learned that I just needed to shut up. I essentially needed to just shut up through the rehearsals and just sort of watch it and process it and then throw in a little bit of guidance where I needed. And um, I was very fortunate to learn along the way with that. Um, and I hate to say it, now that I've read your book, like, I can't wait. <laughs> like, I can't okay. actually wait to go in and do all these new techniques uh, because I, you just don't know.
okay, it's that time to take a break. It's time to uh, thank the men and women that make this show possible, and I'm talking about the sponsors. And now before you fast forward through our ad reads, I'm going to do them with Lance today. Ad reads, ad reads. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're here. And we haven't, we didn't mention at the top end of the show that we're in the same space together. Yes. I think, Without a mask. Oh, I, you're not wearing a I mask. Let's touch hands. Oh, God, Whoa. we just touched hands. <laughs> uh, I, 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 well, yeah, you're, you're the first one. Well, we kind of did. We do it during the COVID too. Did weren't we in the same space once? Uh, I think so. Kind of. Anyway, but I think it wasn't. It didn't seem as scary just yet. No, because the things were kind of starting. You're like, ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we should hang out with less people. Yeah, yeah. And then the next morning you wake up and it's you know days of future past outside. You go, oh, okay, got it. No. <laughs> Don't look at anyone in the eyes. Fucking comic book nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in person doing it. So. First up, I'm going to talk about my 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 boys, my guys over at Puget Systems. Um, you're doing editing these days, right? Yes, yes, I am actually. Um, I got a Razer laptop for editing specifically, and I've been using Premiere and Audition as well. Nice, which has been a, a massive learning curve because before I was just editing everything in iMovie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and when I initially started using Premiere, I was like, "What the fuck am I doing? Like, how do I do this? It's such a pain in the ass." And over time, you know, YouTube University started to figure things out. Now I'm like, okay. But then I, I'm seeing where Puget is a benefit because now when I try to edit, like it's so slow yeah. to like export. Yep. And, Export's like, a big part. The rendering's a big yeah, portion. Yeah, the rendering but, especially. I'm like, oh my God, come on. Yeah, with the Puget system that I'm running right now, I might, like I'll render a file out at like, what is it? Uh, speed and a half. Mm. So like however long that is, it'll be at least twice almost twice the speed mm. for it to render out so if it's like yeah. if you're rendering out like a, an hour long movie it'll take like 30 minutes 29 minutes 25 minutes something that's like pretty that. nice it's really nice and when you do it because we do a lot of short content you, do, you don't even worry about renders at this point yeah. like by the time I start to stock things up in uh, the exporter mm-hmm. like by the time I finish naming things it's already done rendering out yeah see I, did, I just did a piece that was uh, eight, right around 8 minutes and after when I rendered it out I think it took like an hour and I was like, this is, okay, I can like, I can go fuck off for an hour and find something to do. But like, I was hoping that like I could render this, watch it, make some adjustments and like be done in an hour. Uh-huh. So like, all right, that's not going to happen today. Uh-huh. Well, if you had a Puget system, it would happen. Boom. And that's the plug. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Puget systems. If you are in the marketplace, like Lance is to uh, be an editor, to do your own content, to make your own stuff. If you're. Uh, a sound designer, if you're a graphic designer, if you're a photographer and you're trying to sort through Lightroom and it's bogging down on your system, um, believe it or not, you can build a custom PC that works for the software you use. There's this misconception out there that you can buy a system, one system that does everything perfectly. And that's not necessarily true. Just because, I mean, we saw that with cars. Just because you go out and you buy like the the, the most uh, high performance fucking header for a vehicle doesn't necessarily mean it's good on fuel mileage. Doesn't necessarily right. mean it's good for anything else other than that specific task. Unless you're Vin Diesel. Unless you're Vin Diesel, right? <laughs> I wonder what manifolds he used in order to outrun a fucking submarine. I wonder <laughs> what the hardware was when they had to f- jump those things out of a back of yeah. a fucking airplane. You know, or from uh, from one skyscraper to the next. <laughs> 
It was the specific tires. Was about, yeah, I was just going to say, those are some nice tires. I don't know, man. Uh, but uh, look, the big misconception is this, that you have to spend a shitload of money with one of the bigger brands in order to be a professional. And it's a fucking lie. Let me tell you why I know it's a lie. Uh, supposedly, Apples and Macs don't crash. My fucking computer just crashed right before we started this episode, booted all my presets. I had to dig back through the autosave files for it to find something that was accurate to what we last recorded. It was a huge pain in my ass. So if you guys think that if you're going to spend thousands of dollars more on an unboxing experience and an Apple Care program that your machine isn't going to crash, it's a lie because they do. They shut down. Um, so once you get past that and you understand that the software that you're running, Premiere runs on Windows, mm-hmm. right? Most mm-hmm. of these things run on Windows. And oftentimes, one of the reasons why I liked working on Windows more than I liked working on a Mac was that the uh, online threads and the groups were mm-hmm. a lot more accepting. Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember TopCow. I don't know if you ever understood. TopCow was this thread group that you would have to go on to find other Mac users to sort of figure out why you were getting some weird fucking error. It was like error. walking up to a country club, yeah. but everyone drove a Mercedes. <laughs> but instead of Mercedes, they were just literally in their fucking computer chairs playing pole position. Yeah. You know what I mean? With pocket yeah. protectors. And the first thing they'd ask you is, well, don't you know the keyboard shortcuts? And push up their fucking glasses. Yeah. And you're like, why is this such a culty thing? And then you walk into the Apple store and you see why it's a culty thing. Yeah. Fucking like glass shrine staircase. <laughs> and like the, the employees in robes getting yeah. baptized on the second floor. <laughs> you know, like that's... Blue robes. Blue robes. The little <laughs> Apple. I'm never going to have Apple sponsor on this show. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna. They're probably going to charge you money. <laughs> like, you just stop talking shit. Yeah, you need to... But my point is, is that there's something very liberating about going to back to PC, the place that mm-hmm. I started with gaming, mm-hmm. the place that enables you to have unlimited options for hardware, uh, enables you to really sort of dial in your cash into the right places to where you want it to be. You're not spending an additional thousand dollars on an unboxing experience on a fucking like felt interior box that's literally going in the trash can. Yeah, I'm throwing this away. Yeah, immediately. Like, why am I doing that? So, <laughs> look at this rant. Do yourself a favor, <laughs> head on over to Puget Systems because I know a lot of you guys are in the marketplace right now for a new computer. There've been new updates, there's, there's new software updates, there's new codecs required to do all this stuff. Uh, now that these TVs being sold to us in 8K, it just fucks up everything for us. So you're gonna need something with higher horsepower. Go build yourself a custom-built Puget System PC. And this is what's great about Puget. They don't manufacture parts. They don't. They're builders. So essentially what they do is they have uh, a specific case that they put everything in, but mm-hmm. they do the research. They go out and look at all the different hardware manufacturers. That's gonna make it so easy to upgrade stuff then, doesn't it? 100%. Like Gina's on my old Puget right now, which I've had for six years, almost seven years, whatever it's been. Um, and uh, it's lagging with one of the new updates and I'm gonna talk to them next week. It'd be like, what can we do? Mm-hmm. Like what kind of hardware can we swap out of this machine to make it run great? And as long as you don't run into that wall of the motherboard, then you mm-hmm. can adjust anything else yeah. based upon it. And the machines are big enough, the cases are big enough to be able to fit third-party hardware. 
that was a big problem when Mac made the mistake and built those fucking trash cans. And then you had to have all like these breakout cables and shit. Yeah. And you're like, well, what if I'm gonna use red camera hardware? What if I'm gonna use these uh, other video capture cards that come with specific mm -hmm. things? Oh, now I have to buy a third party cage that yeah. sits next to my cute little trash box. And hope to God that it, it even reads Right. Because like, they're like, no, this can't detect this device. Like, fuck. I think that's why we had a crash, was that the Mac laptop got pissed off at the fucking roadcaster and crashed everything. Yeah, because you usually do this on the other one, right? Yeah. On the, on the Puget, Puget system. Systems. Like uh, a walking soundboard. I will say that Mac does a great job with their laptops. I will say that. I'll give them some credit somewhere. Yeah, they look nice. But I'm selling Puget right now. <laughs> so do yourself a favor. Uh, go check them out. These guys build amazing systems, great customer support. Imagine if Apple Care had a real person on the other line. Like you didn't have to text some bot somewhere that pretended to be human. Oh, nice day, Michael. You're not, you're not a fucking person. <laughs> you're a robot. You're not even a robot, you're a program. Um, so uh, do yourself a favor, head on over to Puget Systems, see why I love these guys. They support the show. They continuously support all my work. So click through on the link embedded in the description of the show and like judith was saying or will be saying at the end of this episode because this happens in the middle of the episode <laughs> do me a favor and click through you know how much it helps a show like this when you click through on the sponsors because they're traceable links the sponsors then realize that people are listening to them on the show mm -hmm. so do that anyway next up Supporting us, as always on the show, our good friends over at Quasar Science. These guys build LED light units. You've seen me use Quasar tubes. Yeah, because I think you use them on the Puget job mm -hmm. and the Who's There short, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if we, we use Quasars on that, but we definitely use LED tubes. Okay. Ah, uh, that's what I'm thinking of as tubes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But Quasar makes tubes too. They're just different brands. Uh, Quasar is one of the top brands in the marketplace, though. So these guys, when they hunt for their LED components, mm -hmm. they actually make sure they're getting the top-of-the-line components. So a lot of folks, they don't realize that when, when you buy LED units from China on eBay, mm -hmm. uh, you can never rely on the LED components inside. So gotcha. they're always shifting color over time. Two lights may not match. One light may be more magenta than the other light, which is more green. And then when you're in the color correction process, trying to match up two shots. Yeah, good luck. You're like, what the fuck? And then what a lot of people don't realize is that uh, you may say, hey, well, you could just color correct it in post. Well, great. You didn't charge the client for that, so yeah. you're doing that for free. But also, sometimes when you have to do that color grade, one of the shifts is so terrible that mm -hmm. you have to downgrade the look of the other shot in order mm -hmm. to make it match that shot. Make sure that your life is easier. Get yourself balanced, properly balanced LED tubes. And if you're in the market to build your light kit like so many people are, I advise having some LED tubes in your kit. They're lightweight. They do a fuckload of really great stuff. Um, they have a very small footprint, so you can fit them in the back of your Prius. That, um... <laughs> I just said except for Prius. <laughs> that, that was a very specific sound. <laughs> Um, that that shot in the who's there the short when uh -huh. uh, the door opens mm -hmm. you get all the pink fog mm -hmm. was that was that uh, LED tubes? Yes, they had a bunch of LED units that were in that room. God, what a fucking terrifying shot that was! Oh, well, thanks, man. I remember you were like, "Oh, Lance, come on, we're gonna have you stand in for Gene here." I was like, "Okay, sick." I'm like, yeah, we're just gonna get like your shoulder. I'm like, "Cool, got you, no problem." 
And I'm like, there's a lot of fog coming from under that door. <laughs> Where the fuck is that pink light? Okay, whatever. Being a kid from like born in the late 80s, living through the 90s, you're like, this is what all horror movies look like to me. And that fucking door opens. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> and I think this was the overnight shoot, so I had fallen asleep on the couch and I hear you, Lance. And I just jump up, run over like I was awake the whole time. So I've got brain fog. See this horrifying woman come out of the fucking pink clouds. It's like, definitely not going to fall asleep anymore now. Yeah. And, and, and topless woman, too. Yeah. At that. So it's literally, it's like, I told, I think I told you it was like it reminded me when I was a kid watching The Shining for the first time and the woman in the bathtub <laughs> shows up and I was like yeah. hell fucking no yeah I, I like prepping all the people that work for me it's my yeah. favorite <laughs> <laughs> but you were also sleeping on the fucking set you didn't know that and it was quick too it was like 30 seconds sleep I like to think it as I was closing my eyes to conserve energy <laughs> we also we joke about this all the time we're gonna work together on an acting capacity yeah. but yeah. Lance more Lance has always been on my sets on a crew position yeah and then every once in a while you're like Lance uh, let me use your hands in this shot <laughs> yeah. Lance, let me use your shoulder in this yeah like, eventually over time we will have shot every part of my body <laughs> I'm just gonna make a collage of each still and it would be a really jangled up version of my body had to tell. I love how insulting it is. Where it's like you spend <laughs> I don't know. One so time you're like, yeah, we're going to show you full on camera. Like, put you in this helmet. <laughs> That's right. I'm like, That's oh, right. sick. Like, can I, is it like a visor? Nope. The visor goes down and it's chrome. So you <laughs> cannot see inside at all. Well, you didn't hear fucking uh, Tom Hardy complaining about that shit when he played Bane. He had dialogue. <laughs> so fuck off. <laughs> That's right. Lance was in a short that I did called Moped Nights. Yeah. I forgot that we had done that. I still like that poster, though. It's really cool. Yeah. That was fun. That was a fun shoot, actually. Uh, What's going to really ruin it for you is when we finally get to work together and I do a great job. And then everyone's like, I can't bring that guy back. <laughs> and then it's going to be like Fincher and Brad Pitt. And we're going to be like, I don't want to do another one with him. I'd be like, but if I have him acting, then who's going to be the PA? <laughs> <laughs> Someone's got to block the door so the haze doesn't go out. <laughs> that was your job on that movie. Yeah, yeah. You're like, I'm glad you stand in this door. We're hazing this scene right now. I'm like, yep, cool, cool. Um, and just going to hold this cardboard over the whole door so it doesn't go out. I was like, oh, so I'm, oh, so I'm not even going to be able to see the set and watch <laughs> things go on. Got it. I think Gina has a photo of me. Like At some point, I just started like opening the door on a little crack and just watching. <laughs> It looks so creepy. At one point, so you, I think you were crude. was like, we're losing haze. Like, sorry, sorry. My bad. Sorry. <laughs> you probably could have stood the inside of the room with it. Well, then I'm on the outside of the door, and I was like, well, if I can't see anything, no one sees anything. So I'm not like this fucking set troll. People come over. I'm like, hold on. I think we're rolling. Like, no, I have a walkie, and I know they're not rolling. Let me just check. We're good. You can go ahead and Flying in. <laughs> I love, dude. I love the fact that that I have friends that work in on uh, positions on the crew because what happens when I direct is you get so lost in the chaos and the fucking mm -hmm. craziness that you you never have that opportunity to appreciate the sets from a crew position. When I go work on like Gina's stuff, mm -hmm. like you and I just went and did lighting on one of Gina's pieces. Yeah, yeah. we get that opportunity to see it from a crew perspective because there's no stress. We're not worried about Absolutely. the top. And so that at that point, there's, there's usually like great stories that happen on set or we see, we see yeah. some like crazy drama. There's always so many inside jokes afterwards. That's what I love about being a PA where, you know, you, you, you also get to appreciate 
more of what goes on, right? Like if if I'm truck PA, mm-hmm. I can really appreciate why you don't put a fucking coffee on the camera cart because <laughs> like I had to go at nine o'clock to Panavision twice to help fucking load the cart because something got lost. Or, and you just watch all the stress go on and everything it takes to get it all ready to go. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, if anybody put something on this fucking cart after I've done all this today, I'd be pissed. <laughs> you know, you're like, well, I would never know that before, you know, and yeah. you, just, you gain a different level of appreciation for everyone's job. I think like that's just something that everyone should do, you know, and it and it, and you also build those relationships and those bonds. And it, I always kind of equate it to like what it must be like working in the kitchen. Yeah. You know, where you have just this kind of ragtag group of bums come together for this one thing that they love to do and they're really good at and everyone brings their own skill. It's the same thing on a film set. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's very romantic. I love that about it. And that's why I like doing crew positions. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It, yeah. it really is. And then you make these bonds and you have these stories and you have this stuff, but I'm all, I'm envious. Are, are there any stories that you remember from who's there that I wouldn't know about? Um, I know it's been a few years. Honestly, I, the only thing that I, I think of is when, um, before I fell asleep, I think Jordan had fallen asleep and somebody scared him awake or some shit like that. <laughs> and then we were like, I'll just try not to laugh because we didn't think, I think you really, someone said, we're rolling. And so we're like, oh shit. So now we're just there trying not to laugh when you want to laugh. So it was like something like that. But I don't think everything else, like you were there for all of it. You yeah. Know? That, that shoot was such a, a wonderful fucking experience. Yeah. It really was. And, and we got basically snowed in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because yeah. we had a blizzard. Yeah, because I remember the last day that we shot. Oh, no, I think the second... I shot the second last day and the very last day. I couldn't be there with you guys. And even then leaving, like there was that fucking wicked snowstorm outside and I had the 90-minute drive home. <laughs> and I was like, I remember pulling off to 7-Eleven. I was like getting cigarettes, getting a Red Bull. And I was like, oh, they've got hot noodles too. Like, that'll just be fun when I get home. Like, it's such like a Northeastern, East Coaster thing. Like, oh, it's cold outside, hot soup. Yeah, you yeah. know? And so I've got to shit and do the drive back and just listen to the podcast on the way there. And like the whole ride, just thinking like, I'm so fucking amped coming off of set. And like that feeling, it's like we talked to Judith earlier about coming out of acting class. Coming off set feels the same way. We're like, that's the space I love. Those are the people I love. That's my fucking tribe. And anytime I get to be around that shit, it's just you leave on such a high. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. It's really cool stuff. Um, oh, Jesus, we're, we're in an ad read. <laughs> we <get> to- Whoops. <laughs> Let me continue. Uh, so also sponsoring the show are our good friends over at Custom Comfort Mattress. You haven't seen our new mattress yet. Uh-uh. I'll have to show you our, our new mattress. Wow. Sounds like you're about to get canceled again. <laughs> I'm like, remember that? Uh, one time Mike invited me to see his mattress. I did not feel good about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we did the hard search because, okay, what's the deal with mattresses with you? Because with me, when I was younger, it was always... Let's find a good deal on a mattress. It yeah. always felt great when you got a good deal. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you get your mattresses from? Walmart. Okay. Yeah. Straight right. shooter. <laughs> I mean, honest. I, so, okay. Years ago, um, we had gotten a mattress from Walmart. We just like went in to go to grocery shop and they had one in there for like queen size, 300 bucks or some shit. And I was like, oh, it's like one of those phone ones. It comes like in a box rolled up. You let it out. It like blows up like a marshmallow. It's making me think of Ghostbusters right now. And I wanted to make the reference. But, um, but yes, we did that. And it was just so damn comfortable. So when I moved to California, I just literally just went and did the same thing. And so it, I'm like a, I'm like a cheap drinks kind of guy when it comes to the mattress. You know, I'm like, and, eh. it's, and it's comfortable for you still? It's comfortable as hell. Okay. The bed's super fucking loud. It's like as soon as you roll up, it's like, 
what the fuck is this? Put the mattress back on the floor. I like that better. Well, you know, I'm older than you. So there yeah. hit a point when I sort of crossed out of that. My body doesn't really, my body's a wonderland. My body's yeah. constantly fixing itself. Uh, uh, and then it started to be achy and shitty. Like uh, I realized that the mattresses, the cheaper mattresses really weren't doing it for me anymore. Mm. And then I had to go through the process of trying to find a mattress that actually fit. And uh, Gene and I did that whole run through like all those super creepy mattress stores that are constantly going yeah. out of business, like clearance sale. Why is that a thing? It's part of their fucking sales gimmick. It really is because they're always fuckers. Because they're up fucking selling everything, so they're they're marking it up like what two hundred percent, two hundred fifty percent for this shit. It's insane. And then they're selling you uh, furniture. It's like a shitty fucking market. Yeah. They're selling you uh, these mattresses that are made out of petroleum products. Like that foam mattress that you're probably laying on is made from fucking gas products. And that thing is like exhuming fumes that your body is taking uh, in. That's why I always smells like fart in my room. I'm gonna be like, it's, my bed's made of petroleum. <laughs> and it's not the burritos and beer. Lance is like, I have trippy dreams every night. It's so good. <laughs> it's a great mattress. I actually had a trippy dream last night. I was on set. Uh, I was shooting a movie with in the fucking desert somewhere with Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. And for some reason, Leonardo DiCaprio's arguing on the phone with his agent of why I'm, I'm, I've blown him away with my performance and I, he doesn't understand why I'm not wrapped. And I was like, me too, Leo, me too. I don't understand either. And I woke up really fucking disappointed. I was like, oh, this, that, that's not real. It sounds God like, it damn sounds, it. It sounds like your mattress isn't that comfortable for you. It it's sounds not. Like, it sounds like it's that was me a, fucking like, nightmares. Yeah, nightmares. Leonardo DiCaprio nightmares. <laughs> um, so, we did the hard work. We had to try to find a spot that uh, would get us a, a, a mattress at a good price, a mattress that was comfortable, the most options possible. And we walked into Custom Comfort uh, thinking that it was going to be too expensive. We walked in there saying that this is going to be beyond our shit. Mm -hmm. uh, and the experience was so fucking great because they break down mattresses differently. Yeah. So you can get your base, which Gene and I sleep on a king bed at this point in mm -hmm. our relationship because... Even though I love her so much, there hits a point in the night where it's like, I don't even want to know that you're here. Yeah, you need I, to be, I roll over. You got to roll over twice to get yeah. away from me. So get, get a, let's get a king. If um, I roll over twice, I'm hitting the floor. Yeah, so <laughs> so uh, then you're dealing with two different people, like Princess and the Pea, and mm -hmm. then you know someone that likes to sleep on something soft. Yeah. And so Gina and I, the big argument that we had going into it was like, I'm like, I want a hard bed. I always thought that I needed a hard bed. A hard bed, mm -hmm. I'm a man, a man gets on a hard bed. That's yeah. what happens. And Gina's like, I want a fucking soft pillow bed. It's like if I lay on your bed, there's absolutely no support whatsoever. I feel yeah. like my spine's gonna break in half. Mm -hmm. So what I liked about this company is that we could both get separate bases so she can get her soft base, I can get my hard base, and then we get a topper that fits across the both and then becomes a single mattress, ah. which was really great. And then we also splurged because we were in COVID, we got the adjustable bases. Like the, you could push the button in <laughs> Yes, it. like the commercials of the old people. Please tell me you have a TV in your bedroom so you can just- We like, do. Bzzz. You can come up straight and do the whole, <laughs> the whole fucking thing. Oh, that's uh, great. And so we did this stuff. We found these mattresses with uh, custom comfort, we splurged on the base, but it was very affordable. Um, and then the thing I really liked about them as a mattress company is that they build all their mattresses hand-built. Oh, no shit. Yeah, so like, we ended up with a latex mattress, which isn't made from petroleum, it's actually made from tree sap, which is crazy. 
Um, so and, I'm getting nightmares and you're just killing the Amazon. Exactly. I'm just getting hungry. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sleeping on waffles, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, it smells like maple syrup. Yeah, nice. it smells like waffles in here. Uh, but um, the thing that I lo- really loved about him is that we had 105 days to sleep on the mattress. And if we mm. didn't like it, we didn't like the way it felt, they would actually reopen up the mattress and restuff it, fix it, and do everything for yeah. it. We had those guys in and out of our house like two or three times before we oh, had shit. the bed right. And it was all free, free delivery, free fucking pulling. So it's nice when it, because, you know, you, you invest in certain, like, staples you need in your household, right? Let's say Puget or mm-hmm. you talked about the lights or even with your mattress and having a this sort of ongoing care where, like, okay, if something needs to be taken care of, that the people you bought it from, they're willing to come work with you on that thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's worth the money every single time because how many times you'll buy something you fork out a little chunk of change because you need to want this thing and then once you get it it's sort of like okay fuck off yeah they're gone yeah 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 and then you just feel alone because the process of buying anything like you're either like me which is <laughs> I'm sorry I just laughed and then you just feel alone yeah, very it alone. was very sad <laughs> very alone <laughs> if you're like me when you're buying stuff I'm, I'm the type of person that like needs to get through quick mm-hmm. I'm like all right, this is great. I'm going to use it. I'm going to beat the shit out of it. I'm going to throw it away. Like, that's how I use my products. That's how I use my car. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get in it, throw gear in it, crack a windshield. Who gives a fuck? Get a new windshield. Gina's very different. She has, like, purchasing and anxiety, like, FOMO, like, incredibly. Mm-hmm. Like, did I buy the right choice? Did I do the right thing? And so making decisions on, like, big products like that, that cost good money. Yeah. And if you're going to spend a couple grand on a mattress, you're fucking sleeping on that thing for like 10 years mm-hmm. so yeah what's the math on that what's the per day math on that right makes sense um and then you know that's how we came to custom comfort i don't know i got on a fucking rant uh go to customcomfort.com check them out if you're in los angeles it's uh the way to go head on down to the showroom lay on a mattress have them walk you through the stuff they'll talk to you about how healthy their mattresses are i know we're all very health centric these days what are we eating? What am I putting into my body? You should be thinking about what it is that you're sleeping on. Custom Comfort Mattress is the way to go. And they ship, I think they ship countrywide. I don't think they do worldwide. They ship countrywide, but it helps to get fitted. So if you're in Los Angeles, go get yourself fitted. And then if you like the mattress, they'll ship it to you. Um, all right, last read. This has been a long ad read, but it's been fun. Last read. I haven't done a read for these guys in a while. My good buddies over at you ever, you ever noticed that all my sponsors are my good buddies yeah it's yeah. because they fucking are i'm not lying when i say that i'm friends with no all i mean guys. literally i've hung out with the guys from puget yeah yeah so uh my good buddies over at dale strong knives oh yeah yeah i still need to get a set from them yeah i just i, sh- I should just give you a knife i have a bunch of knives from them so you invited me to your mattress. You're trying to give me knives. What it, what is it, this what it's like being your good buddy? Yeah. Good buddies. <laughs> this is that secret society that everybody wants to get into all the time. Oh, this is how I make it in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, here's a knife, buddy. Uh, my good buds over at Dale Strong. If you are a chef, if you're following my Instagram and you see, um, if you do follow my Instagram, then you know that uh, the, way, the way I fill in my time in between making movies is that I cook. A cook. Every time I make mm-hmm. a meal, to me, it's like making a mini movie. Uh, my doctor wants to murder me because I'm murdering myself because of this. <laughs> we, we, Lance just had, we, you came over for our barbecue the other day, right? Yeah, yeah. We've done so much. What did we eat the other day? Uh, we had ribeye. 
Oh, right. And the wings. Those spicy beans, those are really good. Oh, you like the spicy yeah, beans, huh? Yeah, big fan, big fan. Yeah, I, for the first time ever, I smoked ribeye. It was so good. And I had never done that Oof. before. It was. It's basically a reverse sear, so you smoke it uh, at about uh, 250, around there, 230, 250, and it was on the smoker for about an hour, 45 minutes. It actually went quicker. That's why I was like mm. thrown off. Yeah. It went quicker. You raise it to temp. So you get it up to like rare, medium rare. Mm -hmm. um, and then you pull the fucker off and you toss it on a hot grill. Um, and that will give you the crust and the sear. And then the theory is, is that you'll be at that medium rare temperature. Uh, Gina just walked in. Hi, Gina. Heavy, heavy foot, heavy foot beans just walked through. <laughs> in her, uh, in her uh, winter desert camo pants that she's wearing. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, I ended up reverse searing that and it came out really great. And then I cut it up with my Dale Strong knife. <laughs> Boom. Nailed Dale. that. Oh. Fucking nailed that. Dale Strong. Dale Strong. Dale Strong. The thing that's really great about Dale, uh, a good cooking knife mm -hmm. is that uh, it changes. You, you don't have, do you have a chef's knife? I do, but I got like one of those block sets. And then um, I had another friend, a friend actually gifted me one, but it's, it's not great. I got it. I'm going to give you a fucking knife. You need a knife. Yes. Uh, so this is why I'm here. The the thing that's great about a great chef's knife is that not only are they sharp, right? If you have them sharpened correctly, we'll sharpen one before we give it to you. Great. If you have it sharpened correctly, um, then it changes your prep. Mm. It's safer. People that cut themselves, right, right, cut themselves with those slips. Yep, because it slips. Mm -hmm. Like when you're doing an onion and you're slicing an onion and you have like that skin that's a little bit slippery and you get. Yeah, that's when that happens. Or if you're slicing a tomato, like cutting through tomatoes with a dull knife, you're just murdering it. You're just getting yeah. all the tomato so shit everywhere, like destroying it. So a great chef's knife changes your prep. It changes your food process. It makes things fun mm -hmm. for you. It makes things safer for you. Uh, and a lot of folks assume that chef's knives are incredibly expensive. If you go on a Dale Strong's website and look, you can get a fucking banging chef's knife for like seventy nine bucks. What? Yeah. Yeah. And we've got every, they've got everything. So yeah. they, they've got like amazing. <laughs> I just, I had to give them back, but they had like these massive fucking like Conan the Barbarian cleavers. Oh yeah. That's because yeah. you used them for that, uh, the last day. For the video did. that yeah. we did for them. Yeah. I had a whole bunch of those, but I just gave all the knives over to the chef who I just hung out with. So if you guys have seen my Dale Strong commercials, I did a series of ads for them, which were like these super slow-mo samurai commercials, essentially. Yeah. Um, the chef, Brian, uh, Brian Dunsmore, who's been on the show, go back and listen to our chef's episodes. Brian used to work at a place out here called Hatchet Hall. Um, and he is just recently on that new High on the Hog chef series on Netflix right now, which is like- I heard that's really good. The origins of uh, African-American influence over the uh, American cuisine. No shit. Which is pretty fascinating. I just watched the episode he was in last night um, where they were talking about- uh, Washington's chef, who was a black man, he's, mm -hmm. I think his name was Hercules or something. That's fucking cool. And apparently, uh, he had him sent, and I'm going to fuck all this up, but he had him sent to France. He went to France and learned how to cook in France and then came back. And then when they were here, this is what's fucked up. When they were here, I think it was in Virginia, uh, I think the rule of thumb at that time was that anybody that was a slave in Virginia for more than 60 days 
earned their freedom mm -hmm. and Washington didn't want to lose this guy. And so what he would do is like every 60 days, I think that time's right, every 60 days he'd move him across the border. So oh, like over the Mason-Dixon? It's reset the fucking clock. Why the fuck did he stay? I would have stayed in Paris. Yeah, dude. You think about that time period? It's not going to fucking find me. We're going to GPS my location. Dude, but apparently he was such an, like an amazing chef. He's such an amazing chef that this guy wanted to continue to control him as a slave to be his chef. Jeez. How ridiculous is that? But um, he has really shaped the culinary process of, of our country. Oh, shit. That's going to be nice to, to listen to and learn about. Yeah. It's going to probably make me really hungry. Yeah. I mean, barbecues comes from those oh, roots. Yes. You know? Oh, they say soul food, you know? Yeah. But anyway, uh, we, <laughs> I love the tangents on this, this ad read. Uh, You're never going to allow me to do ad reads with you. No, again. it's great because now, now all the fucking naysayers are like, your ad reads are boring. How boring are my ad reads now? That's right. That's right. And all you guys that fast forwarded to the ad reads, you missed all these great stories. Yeah, honestly, I remember you and I talked about it and you were like, don't fucking fast forward through the ad reads. And I was like, all right. And then I started just listening to yours, even like with the other podcasts I listen to, I'll listen to the ad reads. I'm like, ah, fuck it, why not? Like, I'm right here. Yeah. Might as well, man. I get it. You know what happens is you get into a rhythm where you're like, as a podcast, you're like, all right, I just gotta, I gotta bang out my ad reads. Yeah. So you, you bang them out. I get it. But today we're making it better. Plus, it's filled some fun shit. Like, when you have, you know, cats that they have to do that ad read all the time, they, like, maybe throw in little tidbits and jokes and stuff. Yeah. You think, like, oh, you ever get to meet this person, you're, like, you're on the inside track of the joke, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, go to dalestrong.com and uh, pick yourself up a brand new chef's knife. Uh, tell them that Mike sent you. I think we, I think our promo code might still be good with them. I don't know. It may have expired. Uh, but check below. We had a great promo code with those guys for a little bit. Uh, but even without the promo code, head on over there, say Mike sent you, follow them on Instagram uh, and check out their stuff. Uh, I know one of the owners of that place, David, he's a great dude. So uh, Dale Strong. All right. That's enough of this bullshit. I think uh, we should get back into it with Judith because uh, this has been the longest ad read ever. Yeah. Thanks, Lance. You're welcome. And this brings me to what I wanted to talk about next, which is okay. as a director, and I get this question a lot from other fellow directors, like, how do I know what my personal style is? How do I know what my tone is for my movies? Because a lot of uh, uh, folks are looking back at a director's catalog and they're looking back at his work or her work and going like, this is like David Fincher's tone. He has like this obnimate third person perspective or all these kind of things. and and. Uh, directors are so concerned with finding their voice and their tone uh, mm -hmm. and I think this translates down to when you read a script or have a project and mm -hmm. uh, one of the more powerful things that I read in your book was uh, the misconception of what a director's vision is and oftentimes like prior to that I would read a script and, and, and hear actors say stuff in a specific tone or see things in a specific way and then I would start to write that stuff down as if it was the Bible at that point like this is what I want and this is my start off point and, and then I'd start like uh, doing my storyboards and shots and all the very specific stuff to the two dimensional vision that I was getting while reading this script at my computer desk in the basement in this place um, and reading 
uh, your book, which sort of blows it all open, where your exercises sort of work hard at getting rid of that uh, way that you hear the voices the first time you read it and sort of opening up the world to being accepting of change and all these different variations on it. And I love that about it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I mean, the main thing is uh, the, the goal of the tools that are in the book are to get directors thinking and living more in the subtext than in the effect. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, yeah. And, and, and asking more questions, you know, asking more questions. So, you know, why, 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 why does the character do this or that? What, what's the history of this relationship of this central relationship? When, when did that, when was the first time that they, that they hurt each other? Mm -hmm. When, when was the first time that they had fun together? And uh, so, so the, those kinds of questions and, and thinking about, you know, the, the um, well, I, I think of it as four, five tools, rather, uh, verbs, facts, imagery, uh, emo, uh, physical life and event. And um, so the facts are the uh, history, emotional history, or, you know, the, again, the uh, uh, executives call it backstory, but but um, but for for the people involved, it, it's you know uh, I don't think of myself as having backstory. I have emotional history. <laughs> so um, uh, anyway, uh, it, it, so so th those are the things that I think are the best preparation. And then you cast very very well, right? Mm -hmm. And then you make the scenes work. So it's not really about directing actors. Here's a funny thing, which is, I mean, the, the title is Directing Actors, and I'm very lucky that my publisher nabbed that title for me because it's a good <laughs> title, right? It's a, it's a, it does well in the search engine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, um, <laughs> uh, but, um, but, uh, but it's not really about directing actors. It, it's, it's about directing the scenes, you know, and, and, because letting the actors do their work. I mean, you, you want to cast actors who are who are trained and who are uh, skilled and and uh, and who do their homework and um, and and you don't want to. Uh, I recommend that people stay away from from um, micromanaging mm -hmm. from and from telling an actor how to do their job, uh, but. But what you do want, the director's role, the director's job is to create an emotional event in every scene, yeah. at least one. Yeah. I mean, there can be more. And where something happens. And then for that to happen, then both of the actors, say it's a two-character two scene, both of the characters have to need something from each other. You know, so, so if I, if this person, oh, I'm doing something visual, which is... Not good. It's fine. Right. It's fine. Anyway, <laughs> so if one person uh, needs the other person to uh, quiet down, and the other person needs to uh, cheer things up. Then they are, you know, they're they're in. There's a conflict uh, built in, and then something will happen. Mm. One, you know, one of them will get the other one to quiet down, or the other one will get, you know, get the party going right. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, and and so that's. You know that becomes a, a, an emotional event, and it's the director's job to make sure that that's there mm -hmm. uh, all the time. 
And um, and then using tools like asking the actors, what is your objective here? What is, you know, what, what's your intention? And making sure they have one, that helps it. But you don't have to tell them what their verb is on every line. I, and in fact, I don't think that's helpful. Yeah. But, uh, but you... But if you can talk about verbs, it, it can be it, that can be helpful. Uh, verbs are, or the word intention is synonymous with the word verb. Yeah. Now, and so action verbs, and 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 that was a really kind of an eye-opening thing for me because it really changes how you give direction and how you uh, try to guide or or stimulate or inspire a performance or an emotion out of folks. And it makes a lot of sense when you when you think about it because you're. Instead of telling someone, hey, can you do that a, a little bit softer? Can you turn that up, performance up a bit? You should be giving them direction that is actionable. You should be telling them something that inspires or, or asking them a question that helps them come up with something that is inspiring them or a different Well, I, I, I'd like to stay away from the word should. Okay. Uh, everybody's different. You know, some, and some actors will just say, no, just tell me how you, uh, you know, you want to, uh, you want to, Faster or slower? Just tell me. You know, so so you got to be ready for that too. <laughs> and uh, uh, it, it's uh, so I, that's why I think questions are so useful. Mm-hmm. You know, what what, what 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 do you think his intention is here? You know, what 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 a, what objective are you working on to to to, to get a conversation going like that? Uh, and and then and then if you if you if you're kind of in that world of finding out you know need slash objective slash intention, then you could say, do you think she's demanding or do you think she's confessing? Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Rather than rather than saying, t- take it down. Right now, and, and and then at that, but, but I don't think you should do that because you, you might be too. It might be a bad day. It might be a hard day. You've got a million other things to to pay attention to. So, uh, so it's also okay to say to the actor, something feels off about this. It feels like it's not connecting in some way. Uh, I, I don't, I don't have the words for it. Can you come up with something else for me? Mm-hmm. You can say that. Mm-hmm. You can absolutely say that. I love that I honesty that's there too, because it, when you're acting and you have the moment of like, oh God, like I, I've got a, a thing here I think I want to try, but you don't feel comfortable or you just, that insecurity hits and you don't make the choice that might be the interesting choice. If the uh, director comes over and you be honest with you, was like, something's not working, I'm not sure what it is. You're like, oh, well, like, okay, so it's okay to not like have the perfect answer or to like necessarily know. And then you feel more comfortable. Okay, well then, then let's just try stuff then. Yeah. And you know, yeah. I think it yeah. opens up that freedom to play more. Yeah, I, I, I think that's really helpful uh, to, to do that to you know to not feel like you have to have all the answers, mm. Mike. Mike, you don't have to have all the answers. <laughs> you, you, it's better to have good questions than to have all the answers. I, it's, and, it's and, a, and, and, and it's it's better to invite the uh, actors to figure something out themselves. I mean. You know they've just got the one job. You've got a million others, so it's, it's completely it's completely fair to to engage them, you know, and, and mm. to get them on board. Just you saying that is like a virtual hug. It's just like <laughs> it's really nice. Uh, but yeah, like it's been an it's been a process for me, and I can't wait to uh, actually. Uh, put these things into practice because I've just been locked in my cave and and sort of processing yeah. all this. Um, but it it really has been this strange. I feel like I'm going from caveman thinking into like more intellectual thinking with how I'm processing all this and 
oftentimes um, it, it's hard for me to get away from like that more machine like thinking where like like if you're doing a photo shoot and you're like okay here's what my aperture is and here's bu- 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 and it's very sort of mechanical and you have a list of mechanical stuff and then when i started to process your your book and your steps as i went down to break down my script i was like i need like a mechanical breakdown for this and in the beginning i was just very frustrated with it and it wasn't until i just sort of let go of everything and i'm like okay just read the scene and ask questions about the scene and that's kind of where i started like who, where are they coming from? What did they do five minutes before this scene? And like, what if, what if this person knew this person when they were in high school? How does that change the dynamic of this sequence? And um, and then it started to become really fun and and very exploratory for me. And and then I started to come up with all of these uh, emotional reasons for things, and then started to find emotional context to things, which then changes my shot lists and changes the way I do stuff. And which is oh, great. Uh, it, it, I don't know how I've been trying to explain it to my girlfriend who she's a, a fashion photographer and I'll, I'll walk into the room and I'll go, I'm just doing all this research and I'm really excited. and I'm spinning it out and she's like falling asleep. And I'm like, you just don't get it. <laughs> I just walk out. It's, it's very exciting. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to hear that. that just thrill- that's just thrilling. And then, and then uh, the process of that kind of research and those kinds of questions and those kinds of ideas, trying out those kinds of ideas, what you're, what you're uncovering is the real thing that your your project is about. Yeah. You know, what are you saying to the world? What is it that you have to say about, for instance, loyalty or about uh, uh, loss, mm-hmm. grief, mm-hmm. you know, or about um, uh, redemption or about family? You know, what what is it that you have to say? You 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 can uncover uncover all that. Rather than, uh, and, and it's something, it's something deeper and more profound than than the logline. Yeah, mm. yeah, to- totally. And the other thing that was interesting because I work with a writing partner, so uh, my buddy Will Simmons has been writing all of our features right now, uh, and I realized pretty early on that I'm not as great of a screenplay writer as he is. I realized that I was writing my scripts out of necessity because I needed to write stuff that I was going to do. And when mm-hmm. I when I met him and I read his work, I immediately went, and I just sort of took a step back and said, okay, this guy knows how to write a, a scene description. This guy knows how to write a script that's a fast read. Um, and then what I found incredibly exhilarating uh, about what you were teaching which makes common sense. I don't know why I never did it, but it was the ability to just cross out scene direction <laughs> when you're prepping something. And yeah. it, just that task alone is incredibly exhilarating to just go like, he doesn't do it like this. and She doesn't do it like that yet. I don't know what they do yet. We're not gonna know until we're actually on set. And, and just that task of crossing it out in a script just takes this weight off your shoulders because you're not trying to create what somebody else thinks it's supposed to happen in that sequence and you're allowing it to become what it's supposed to be in that sequence exactly exactly it's so uh it's a bit thanks thanks a great way for putting it a big liberation um it it doesn't you know it's 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 good if if the writer does is a good writer of narrative you know screen directions or narrative because it it helps the uh the agents and the uh, <laughs> and the and the pro- uh, producers and the executives to read it more quickly if they have some help about when 
when there's, uh, you know, changes in emotional uh, life. But um, but then, uh, so it doesn't mean it shouldn't be in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, but but so so it's very helpful to have it in there and 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 the physical activity of crossing not all of it but some of it out or, or at least questioning it at least uh, creating questions around it uh, that's uh, it, it is it's it's part of a creative process yeah no and and completely and like you said you're not crossing out everything I, I'm usually leaving in the stuff that has some sort of real emotional context or the result of that specific direction is going to lead to an emotional change with an actor yeah. well there's an yeah. yeah yeah which which makes a lot of sense um but then as I was talking to my it's so fascinating how this has triggered everything so then I was talking to my writer and uh when I would talk to him about screen direction or stuff that I wanted written in the descriptions I would always be front-loading stuff that I saw as a director and I'm like hey how come you knocked this out like I really think we need to explain this stuff and he's like dude it's too long of a fucking header it's too long of a read for for the people to do it and you're like yeah but it's not in there so like I'm trying to cram in the vision of a director in the early version of the script and after doing this I just realized I just said to him like you have a talent for writing something that conveys the general emotion for what's supposed to happen in the sequence. And it's a fast read, which is so important for very sort of time crunched executives to even look at the damn thing. Um, and then I said to him, like, I also, I also empathize with your job with the, <laughs> the hours that it takes to do all this beautiful stuff that I'm just crossing out. <laughs> so it's like, I'm just crossing out all your work here today. Uh, oh, it, it's, you know, it'll get you, you know, it'll get you your financing or whatever. And that's important. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but, well, I, a couple of things I wanted to say was, um, uh, one, well, one is stuck in my mind right now is that, you know, I, I, I do recommend brief uh, stage directions and narr- narration. But um, recently I reread the script for Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me why I do these things. <laughs> I, 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 I guess I read or watch Taxi Driver every once in a while. And um, <laughs> on the first page, it's an entire page of description of Travis Bickle, you know, Top of page to bottom of page, going and you know, going over onto the second page. Wow! And and uh, so that's what it should, and it's wonderful. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't ask anybody to cross out a word of it. It's uh, you know, it's full of it's full of uh, Im- imagistic uh, detail and mm-hmm. and uh, and that and emotional history and uh, questions and. And uh, uh, it's, you know, so so they, you know, they do wonderful stuff, and and uh, it, it's, you know, because because I get a question sometimes. Well, how much narration should you put in? You know, one inch, half an inch, two inches, and <laughs> I said, well, you know, anything. Say what you have to say. Anything you need to say what you have to say. So Paul Schrader needed that amount of space to say what he wanted to say. To introduce us to Travis Bickle, and um, uh, and it you know it soaks into the actor and the director in whatever way that it does. But I, I, I think some of the crossing out that I suggest is a way of of allowing just the stuff that's important to soak into you. Yeah, 
Yeah, because it's not like I forget or I throw out the window what was written there, and that's usually a stimulus for me where I'll sit yeah. there and go, ah, that's, a, that's a decent idea. But when we're coming up with ideas or we're trying to sort of come up with questions or, 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 or really breathe life into a two-dimensional scene, just that task of doing that is like, okay. It, it, it's so interesting the way that a lot of your exercises aren't necessarily about finding the right answers, not about finding the correct answers for things, but it's about just taking down the, the 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 walls that we put around our brain when we look at this stuff and i'm i find myself after doing it i'm like ah, and i'll sit down and do prep and i'm like i'm not really in the mood and i'll just sort of do some mediocre versions of it and then go oh this is interesting and, oh, oh and then the next thing you know like 20 minutes later i'm four scenes deep going this is really great and it's i, okay. I was just i was just shocked at how well thought out uh your exercises were and and that's a good question like how I'm sure that this took you years to sort of develop this process that you have. Is it just from your experiences and from communicating with people? Like, how did you come up with these steps? Oh, well, I was teaching workshops for a long time. Right. Okay. Right, 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 right. Yeah. No, I, I learned it all from my students. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I mean, of course, from my, I started out with what I'd learned from my teachers, but, but then, um, then uh, I started teaching a workshop called Acting for Directors in um, 1988. Okay. I, I started teaching that workshop. It was a three-day workshop. And uh, I, I, directors would come in, and then I would take them through acting exercises. And then um, at the end of the three days, they'd worked on a monologue and on a scene and a bunch of improvs and exercises. So um, everything I learned was based on that. I, it, my, my idea when I started teaching that class was that, you know, directors need to understand something about what's going on with actors so that they can talk to them. And my idea was, well, if they just do it, you know, it, it, they'll figure it out. But it didn't quite turn out that way. Hmm. Uh, I mean, everybody always loved the class, but, um, but they would start asking me, well, how am I going to use this? Why do I need to know it? Mm. And how do I use this? And they were constantly at me about that until I, and I, and at first I thought, well, you, you will figure it out. You know, it's, it'll, it'll be, this is good knowledge. It'll, you know, it'll, it'll come in handy. I know it will, but, but they kept at me, you know, how do I use this and why do I need to know it? And so finally I started making charts and graphs and lists of, you know, like, uh, of, for script analysis and, and mm -hmm. things. And I finally started, you know, including their uh, discussion of, well, if such and such happens on the set, you might try this, you know, and, and, uh, adding stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and then started reading more, uh, of, uh, interviews and stuff of which there weren't that many back then. <laughs> you know, the, the book came out in 1996 and there, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't that much, yeah. back then no you like, no youtube back then <laughs> no no exactly yeah. so um but i but i found every scrap that i could possibly find and um and then as i mentioned in the uh, as i mentioned in the kind of the the preface or the prologue to this the to the new book the 25th anniversary you know just before just before i had to send um the original manuscript to the printers um the 
uh, the, the Sidney Lumet book came out, Making Movies. <laughs> and, um, and that was the first one. You know, there really weren't, there really weren't uh, books about uh, movie making. Really, there really weren't. And, uh, and he had a whole chapter on working with actors. And that was just like unheard of. Anyway, so I, <laughs> I, 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 I did incorporate all that kind of stuff. But it was, but it had a lot to do with having been teaching, and having you know seen, and having I had developed ways of talking about why verbs are important, and and uh, yeah, I had developed that in the in the classes because I could you know I'd, I'd be in front of people, I could see puzzled looks on their face, and realize now I have to make this clearer. So that's that's a lot of how I uh, learned, and then and then I continued teaching, and that's why that's where the other books came from was. You know, learning more and more. Uh, you know, finding the finding the the weak spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And the weak the weakest spot was this emotional event that you know people had. People would come to me who'd read uh, the first book, but also the second book, the film director's intuition, and they still said, "I still don't understand what you mean by emotional event." So that's what I have really, really honed in on. Mm-hmm. Try to do the very best I can to come at it from, you know, a, a lot of different points of view to make it feel simple and com- and to make it feel common sense. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, I, I never want people to memorize a list of verbs or, or you know, have a checklist. I want I want it to feel like common sense, like you say. Yeah. And yeah. Well, it's, it, anyway, it, it, that's, it, how, that's how I got to it. It was by teaching. Yeah, well, that, that, that's great to hear because that means that it's from practice. It's it's not like you were just you know born onto this planet with like some sort of ungodly wisdom. Because <laughs> anytime I read a book like that, I'm like, okay, how true is any of this stuff? I I'm one of those guys that is you know put your hands in the machine and try to make it work. And so to know that it's something that c- that came about through practice and through through years of experience on it, it just validates well, it. it. That bit about the ten thousand hours is is uh... yeah. Yeah. Not, not bullshit. Yeah. It's real. It's mm-hmm. real. It is real with everything. And um, there's so many things I want to ask you. I, I don't want to go on all day with this, but I want to make sure that the, the audience is sort of understanding a couple of things. Let's let's get into yeah. verbs a bit here. And can, can you just give us a brief overview from your perspective on actionable verbs and why they're useful? Well, it's a way of getting at the emotion of the scene and the emotion of the relationship uh it's it's a di- it's a different way you know let's say there's a scene two characters one character is angry and the other one is sad um that, so there's a difference in their voices mm-hmm. uh and in their what they bring in their, their energy that they bring into the room but if you think about it in terms of their uh, verb that one you know the one that I'm calling angry that that they're punishing and the one that's sad is is uh, maybe begging, and uh, it 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 helps them connect to each other. Mm-hmm. That it, it, you, if you've got two actors, one actor is trying to be angry, the other actor is trying to be sad, then um, you might not have a scene. You know, it might not have a scene. You have a scene when they're trying to affect each other. So oh. if the the one that we called angry, if it's if if she is punishing. And then the other one is begging. Then they're they're affecting each other, or you know that, and and then something can happen. Yeah, 
so so it's very uh, it, it's it's just a helpful way to look at human behavior. Uh, it, it's it, in addition to noticing. It doesn't mean you can't notice whether somebody's angry or sad, but but uh, but it's a, a, way, a different way of noticing and describing human behavior. And um, I, I, I had a huge uh, breakthrough when um, I had this one strange experience in my own life. This is a long time ago, before before I was carrying a cell phone all the time. <laughs> and I had, uh, yeah, before anybody was carrying cell phones. And, and I had an appointment at my studio for the client and, um, and I was late. And you know, phone. We only had phones at home. Mm-hmm. So just before I was, I was gonna, I was ready to leave on time, but the phone rang, and I thought, well, what if it's the guy that I have the appointment with, and he's needs to tell me something? So I picked it up, and then I had to talk to this person. So um, <laughs> that was what made me late. Anyway, so I'm driving to the studio, and I'm really irritated. I'm in a really bad mood, and I'm sort of rehearsing my apology to him. You know, and, and my in my mind, my my rehearsed apology was coming out. I'm so sorry. I'm late. The stupid phone rang, and I had to. I thought it might be you, so I picked it up. And then I'm I'm late, and I I, I just hate it. I hate to be late. And then I I sort of listened to myself and said, you know, you're not apologizing. You're complaining. And uh, that's you know, <laughs> it's the tone. My tone was a complaining tone. My verb was to complain. I mean, that's another way at it. You know, my tone was mm-hmm. in my head. I was rehearsing was a complaining tone that so that meant that was my verb and that meant there was no room for the verb to apologize which was what I wanted to do mm. and uh so I thought well, wait a second let's you know it is possible to make a choice about your about your verb and um so uh I don't know that that was that was a huge eureka moment for me that uh it's it's not an esoteric thing it's not a rule it's not a it's not a, a jargon. It's something that really happens in real life. We can say the words, I'm sorry, and but we're really complaining. Yeah, yeah. Which is, it, it is such an eye-opening thing. And it's a difficult thing, I think, for a lot of us to wrap our heads around, especially in the modern environment that we're in right now, where everybody is so incredibly judgmental. And there's this level of like putting folks in a box and sort of looking at strangers and understanding strangers. I just read, I'm going to forget the name of the book, but I just read this really fantastic book on strangers and the study of strangers and the study of faces and human faces and how uh, as a species, (laughs) as, as humans, we like to try to figure folks out at a first glance, at a first look. And uh, there was this interesting study done, and I, I should have written this down, so I'm going to paraphrase this. There was this interesting study done uh, with uh, folks from uh, a normal city sort of examining facial responses. I think there were six different facial responses, happy, sad, mad, glad, whatever. Then there was the same study done with this very sort of secluded group of people that lived on an island that didn't have access to everything that we have access to. And they were looking at faces like sad, glad, and happy and completely assuming the opposite from it. And so there's something so interesting about the assumptions that we put on with emotions and the assumptions that we put on with human interaction that I feel like, at least with myself, I start to build a rhythm of like, this is how I complain. This is how I host a show. This is how I do these things. This is how I deal with my landscaper using a weed whacker outside while we're talking about the thing. <laughs> um, but uh, 
when you start to do these studies about verbs, at least for me, I start to really, it opens my mind on how people complain and how people, what their true intentions behind complaining are and the difference in intentions. And then, I don't know, it just, it just changed everything, you know? And so I get that eureka moment because I was kind of feeling that moment as I went through these exercises and I was coming up with a list of like options for verbs for different sequences and going like, oh, but what if her thing is this instead of that? And I read it like this, but this is more interesting. And then yeah. how does this character, fascinating. And then, then it all comes back to that statement and, and the fact that scenes are just opportunities for two people to mesh with each other, two people to communicate with each other, which I really like. Right. Right. And you don't have to argue with the actor about, you know, if they, if you, if you want the actor to argue, you know, uh, and the actor says, no, I, I think I'm just reasoning with him. It's always a good idea to say, oh, great, let's try that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. The way that, you know, because there's all so many uh, things uh, operating on the interaction between the two actors that, um her her reasoning may look just like your your idea of arguing. You don't, you don't know until you see it. Right. Well, and that's the beauty of subtext, right? Because then it's all in the the eyes of the beholder when they're looking at the person yeah. conveying it. Yeah. And that's you know that's I think that's the ultimate reason why Harrison Ford and uh, Ridley Scott continuously argue about whether or not Deckard was a replicant. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, was, I love that story. I love that story. It, it's. Uh, it goes to the heart of the movie, doesn't it? Yes. Mm -hmm. It's, it's also just a really good script. I think like, I saw Blade Runner when I was a kid, and then a couple years ago I had downloaded the script, and I was like, I just want to read this. And it's actually a phenomenally written script. Really? I have a really, read. really easy read. There's some things that are different, but the things that are different, and especially like, like the scene description having a little more floral language, those are things that you know Ridley Scott presents as like a very visually aesthetic. It's super appealing. When you're just reading it, and if you haven't watched the movie in a while, you, it feels so fresh and brand new. I was like, man, whoever wrote this, I mean, wow. You know, it's like you were saying with the Travis Bickle description, like it's a lot here, but it feels almost like somebody just crammed this novel into this little column on the center of every page. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's really cool stuff. Um, well, we're pushing close to an hour here, and Judith, like I said, I can. I could sit and talk to you for hours at this point. This is really fun. Yeah. Really fun. And, and for the for the fans listening, for the folks listening to the show, we have we have barely scraped the iceberg on on how exciting this stuff could be, on how eye opening. Uh, if you read uh, Judith's books, her new book, which I have to now read. Thank you, Judith. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, but if you do this, it it is. How do I equate this to my nerdy listeners? It's like, it's like when the red camera came out on the market, and they had raw files that you can go back and dial in all the different color exposures and 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 all the different temperature changes and in color correction. Do you remember how excited you were about that? Imagine that that same sort of excitement can be brought towards actors and i don't have to look at them as mythical little unicorns anymore they're actually human beings <laughs> <laughs> so um i i highly suggest uh if you want to be inspired and take it from somebody who was a who felt like he was pretending to be a director you know like once you start to understand these things you start to get your head wrapped around the fact that it is a job it is a craft and that there are these things that you can do that aren't that difficult. Um, and it really just sort of breaks down 
these calloused ego barriers that we build around ourselves as we walk into a producer's room and go, I can fucking do that. Of course, give me the money. And uh, and then afterwards you go home and you cry to your friends and you go, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Judith, I, I did have a question for you. Um, yeah. Reading, or rather listening to your book as an actor, I found it so informative and I've been telling every actor that I can bump into, I'm like, well, whatever you're reading, stop reading it, read this. <laughs> um, but it made me wonder, it made, well, it made me more empathetic of the director's process. So I was wondering what your thoughts were on how as actors we can be better of better service to the process and the efforts of a director. Well, um, gosh, I, I think you can always ask each other questions. You know, I, I I think uh, uh, you, but you do have to find out if you're an actor. You do have to find out fairly quickly how much, how available the director is going to be to you. You know, some of them really are putting themselves at a remove and don't want to, uh, you know, don't want to be asked a question. You, you know, and and. Uh, I mean, I, I always remember this, the second uh, job that I ever got on a, on a TV show as an actor, uh, you know, I'd had a wonderful experience on my uh, first job, and I talk about it in the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, and on the second job, I bounced up to the director. It was an after-school special. <laughs> and I said, you know, and I was playing a teacher. And I said, what shall we do with Miss Palmer? And he just looked at me like I had two heads, and he said, well, just do what you did in the audition. That was great, you know. I, I you know, and and so, he's uh, not wrong. I mean, he was trying to give me confidence. I guess that that, that you know, he's, he, he he didn't do anything bad. He you know, he he was trying to tell me that I didn't have anything to worry about and that I was right for the part, and he had faith in me. I, I think that's what he was trying to do. But it came, you know, it, it, it reads to an actor like, oh, she doesn't love my character the way I do. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, and uh, so so at that point, conversation over, uh, right? Yeah, that's, there's no road to really go from there. You have to interpret what he says as positive as possible. Mm -hmm. He believes in me. He thinks I can do it rather than he doesn't care. And um, so, but uh, but I, I think um, you know asking for time, it, it, I think is possible. I I think in general, in general, if you're not sure if if you get a direction and you don't understand it, I think you get one uh, question. <laughs> you can ask a question, and then if they respond and you still don't understand, I don't think you you should ask another question unless you're the lead. If you're the lead, yeah. of course, you know, say, no, wait, I really want to sit down and talk about mm -hmm. this. But if you're not the lead, then um, after you ask one question, you still don't understand, just do something different. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Yeah. Just on the basis of politeness, that it would be rude to do the same thing again because he's asked for something, he or she has asked for something different. And mm -hmm. even if you don't understand what it is, do something different. And, uh, uh, but, but you, you learn to sort of suss out the directors who are available, who want to, who want to talk about things, who want to ask questions. 
and and then uh, and then and then figure that out. Does that does that uh, does that answer your question? I mean, yeah. but what I want the listeners to hear is how much directors, I mean, actors want to be helpful to a director. I, I think a lot of directors are, are in damage control mode towards actors all the time that they're saying, you know, they would ask me all the time, well, what do I do if they if they won't do what I say? What do I do if they <laughs> if they're uh, trying to sabotage my movie? I say they really very rarely that very rarely happens. Mm, yeah. You know, it, uh, actors want the movie to be as good as possible that they they really and they want to help you. And and. Um, so, so mostly, I, I, I hope that the directors are listening to this actor asking that question, saying, "How can I be more helpful to the director?" That's what that's what they want to do, and uh, so bring them in. Uh, you know, make time to spend time with the actors. Yeah, I. That's great advice, and and from a director's perspective, I think it's, I think a lot of us need to just get out of our way. I think that I think we get so I know a lot of young directors that feel the same way I used to feel with this where uh, you're so concerned and you have so much anxiety running on needing to have all the answers and needing to be the visionary like the genius you know and it's like it's virtually impossible to, to know all these different answers and know this stuff and I, I learned early on with my crew that I actually got better results when I went in and I said I don't know like if I walk into a room and I say, this is exactly what I want, then they're trying to keep up with me. And then maybe they're painting this picture that I see in my head perfectly. But if I walk into a space, having a backup plan behind me going, well, I kind of know what I want. But if I walk mm. in there and I go, I don't know, what do you think? Yeah. Then then they start to present options. And isn't that what our job as a director is, is to sort through options? So, so many uh, interviews that I read with you know, great directors will actually say this sentence. I don't think of myself as a director. I think of myself as a selector. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. I, it, and it's, what I up doing is it, it's a great sigh of relief for you as, as the leader, because then you can go like, oh, right. I've cast these people around me. I've cast people that I can trust. I've cast tr- crew that I can trust. I cast these folks that I want to go into battle with at the 11th hour. I'm going to stand there with like panicking and they're going to be able to pick up the slack for me. That's yeah. kind of what the process of finding your crew and, and finding your, your talent is. And uh, I remember I had an opposite effect with talent once on one of my shoots on 12 cam again with Gene, my buddy who, who I met and cast for the first time. And, uh, I had a very short, uh, just sort of casting session with him and no rehearsal time. And he showed up on set and he had a s- smaller part that became a larger part in the piece. Um, and he walked over to me and I had just been dealing with like a chaotic day on like the sets not being built correctly and having to turn the entire thing around and dealing with all this technical stuff. And then I had to like go from that panic and take that hat off and then walk over to an actor. And so that transition for me was very difficult where it's like put the 18K there and move this person here and then the location guy wants to shut everything down and bop, 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 bop. And so then it go to you and then I walk over and I'm like, okay, I'm going to see Lance. I have to take this hat off. You know, I had to take this thing off and, I, and then I'm, I'm running through my head like, what do I want from this performance? And I'm doing it all really quickly mm-hmm. as I approach you and I approach Gene this way and I went, okay, you ready? He goes, yeah. And I go, okay, here's what I think. And he goes, uh can I just show you what I've worked on? 
Exactly, yes. And, and I went, whoa. And it wasn't an ego blow for me. It was just such a relief for me. And I went, yeah. yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. there's a the thing, like, when we're on sets, like, our our natural instinct as actors is to constantly be observing, right? Because like, if you've done a scene, it's usually the relief of like making the scene about the other. And so it just instinctually kind of becomes a, a trait that you carry at all times. So even when we're on set, if you're feeling overwhelmed, we see you, we understand, you know, like, oh man, this guy, this guy was having a little bit of a rough go at it. And that's when it comes in that thing, like when you come over and are like, look, this is going on. Like, and, and we have this communication. It feels like that bond gets even more rich because like, wow, this person is opening up to me about what they're feeling right now on the day on the job. And then we feel more comfortable being vulnerable because, you know, there's, we know that that's a safe space for that to occur, you know, for those emotions to exist. And I think it's just like, it becomes this beautiful bond. Like you work with a director who comes outside and talks with everyone. And, and it's, there's, there's no directing happening at that moment, but they're just being a person. And you go, wow, I feel more comfortable with this person because they're showing me that there can be a space for just humanity to exist between us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a good time to mention that when you talk to actors, there should always be nobody overhearing. Yep, yep. So that, uh, and then, you know, actors can be your safe space. They can be your, your vacation <laughs> from all these pressures. <laughs> and, and also, just one more thing, is that it's a really good idea, you know, not to give direction before you see what the actors brought in. I learned, I learned, I learned, luckily, by accident. <laughs> and it's nice to, to, to realize that that's the right way to do it or the correct way yes. to do it. Yes, yes. So thank you. <laughs> uh, I, like I said, we can go on and on and on. But um, Judith, it has been an absolute pleasure to just listen to you speak, have this communication with you. Um, I feel less like a creep now because I've been hearing your voice for so long. <laughs> And I've been like going, yes, right, Judith. And, and I'm not actually yeah. talking to you. <laughs> like, oh, man, that was so good. What'd she say? Reminder, reminder, reminder. <laughs> just playing snippets to people in the car. I'm like, no, just you got to hear this one thing. I'm going to find it in like five minutes. Just wait. <laughs> so it's, it's nice to know you in real life. I'm really, really happy to meet you both. Really <laughs> of course. Thank you so much, Judith. Um, and so before we go... Um, Let's plug your books. Like, uh, where can folks? It's all on Amazon and everything else, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and gosh, I, I can I make a little request if people do uh, get it on, uh, you know, to write a little Amazon review. Yes, <laughs> those things. Those things move again. They move the search engine. The the, the algorithms. algorithms. Yeah. So um, yeah. So um, well, I can't hold it up. But it's uh, it's called Directing Actors Twenty Fifth Anniversary Edition. Yep, yep, yep. Because you can find different versions of it up there. The Twenty Fifth Anniversary has mostly the white cover, right? Mostly white yep. with some red. Yep, yep. A little and a little gold seal. On it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, and you don't have the Twenty Fifth. You haven't done that on Audible, right? You just have the old no, version. I, on Audible. Well, this is a really strange thing. But I, I only got invited. The the original directing actress came out in 1996. I never got um, approached to do a um, uh, audiobook version of it until 2019. So in 2019, I was approached to do, and my publisher said, "Let's jump on it. Let's grab it." Yeah. And uh, so I did. I did a good amount of revising for that. I, I said, you know, I can only do it if I can do some revising because it's been, you know, 
21 years. It's just, <laughs> it's really, there's, I've got to do some updating. And so they said, yes, you could do that. And um, so, but I only had four months and I to, to revise and read it. Wow. And uh, so I just threw a lot of stuff together. So, so the audiobook is, you know, it's not the same as the original uh, book. Mm-hmm. And then after the audiobook, which was, you know, went very well, then my publisher said, hey, you know, next year is 25th anniversary. So let's, let's do a print book. And, um, and I thought that I would just sort of fix sentences in the audiobook, but then I got carried away and I made a lot more revisions. (laughs) (laughs) But that's good. That's good. That means it's constantly developing and an industry that requires it to be constantly developing. And and I I love that. And the thing I like about, because I'm reading the books and I like I'm highlighting and I'm going through and doing all that like work that I should have done as a terrible student in English class. Now I'm doing it as part of my job. Um, but uh, the thing I like about the audiobook, and I wish your other book was an audiobook, is that yeah. um, I feel like I front load a lot of this research when I have time. And then when you're in the midst of like the chaos of doing stuff, I like to just put on the audiobook and just hear a couple of refreshing things mm. where like if I'm riding the bike, and I'm like, right, think about that. Right, think about that. Think about that. And it's really nice. Yeah. To have those. Well, those the audiobook things. has a lot of the changes. It just doesn't have all of them, but it has a lot of the changes. And the audiobook in the, the script analysis chapter in the print, the new print 25th anniversary edition has a different, uh, it uses a different script. It uses a, a different scene. It uses a scene from The Matrix. Oh, cool. Very cool. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big Matrix nerd. So. <laughs> I am too. I am too. <laughs> All right. Well, look, Judith, this has been fantastic. I got to end the episode. Um, thank yes. you so much. Maybe I can convince you sometime in the future to come back on the show. But, uh, oh, I'd love to. Sure. Oh, God. This was so much fun. Lance, thank you for hanging out. Of course. No, thank you for having me. I've been waiting for this all week. So thank you, Judith. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. 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 Right. That was it. Judith, what did you think? It was amazing. It's uh, It was cool being able to like, actually see her face through the Zencaster after listening to her for like 16 hours on Audible. Um, but man, yeah, that was that was nice. I've been looking for this all week. It was great to finally like hear her sort of dive into it a bit more and be able to ask questions. Because I mean, this, this thing is life-changing, man, in terms of like what we do. Yeah, it, it really is. And I... I'm always checking myself because I don't want to come off as one of those guys that like, like I said, you, you see a fucking ad on fucking Instagram and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're like, these socks have changed my life. And then every yeah. party you go to, you're like, what socks are you wearing? Like, I'm yeah. trying not to be that guy. I'm not doing a great job of that. I'm yeah. telling everyone about this book. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because it, it has done such a really great job at changing perspective, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, she's wonderful. I apologize to you guys listening because uh, I I really want to get more out of her. I really wanted to present more on this show. And when we were talking before this episode, I'm like, I can't. It's been very difficult for me to put this one together because there's so much that I want to talk Mm -hmm. about. I've only got it for an hour. Um, And but you know what? You could do what we did. 
Yeah, just you, listen to the book. Get her book, book, buy her books. Book. Uh, like she said, her, her brand new 25th anniversary edition has more current stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen the changes between some of her older versions, like the difference between the book and the audiobook, because the audiobook is more, yeah. more relevant on that. Um, so it's definitely worth picking up the new version mm-hmm. uh, because this world is shifting. We said it a couple times in the show. This world is shifting and it's nice. I always hated it when with the, like those old textbooks that you got back in school where it's like yeah. 16th edition and you, you're still right. opening up the science book that has like archaic caveman drawings yeah. of a fucking spleen. You know? Yeah, because even her, the audiobook, she references and breaks down like characters and choices, certain things of like Fleabag or Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've listened to it. I'm in the middle of watching this show right now. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it almost makes it feel more uh, relative or you can just grasp the information easier because you're like, yeah, I, I'm, I know that show. I'm watching that show right now. I totally get what she's saying right now because I just watched that scene yesterday. Yeah. You know, yeah, no, completely. Um, so I, I can't say enough great things about Judith. It was really nice to meet her in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I hope you guys feel like you're inspired to learn something new, to learn to go a new and different direction than we've talked about on the show before. Um, and it, for the past, whatever it's been, 10 episodes that I talk about, I'm deep in prep, I'm deep in prep. This is what I'm doing. I'm going through Judith's stuff. And uh, if you guys have questions, or if you want to share the prep that you do on your scripts, if you, want, you guys want to talk about it, I'm open to talk about it. Follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy. You can write to me there uh, or follow the uh, podcast Instagram. That's in love with the process pod and love with the process POD on Instagram. Um, let me know. Are you guys doing this? What's your prep like? Are you guys working on action verbs? Are you guys trying to find the emotional event in a scene? Like what's your process to define the emotional event in the scene? We really didn't get into it too much on the show, mm-hmm. but it's one of the most important aspects of any scene. What is the event that changes everything emotionally for the characters? Mm-hmm. Where is that shift? Where's that shift in power? Where's that shift in perspective that happens in it? Where's it come from? Is it a line that it happens? Is it an action that happens with? Um, all these things are just really interesting. And I think the byproduct of uh, going through these books and, and going through this whole process is realizing how heavy the load is for script for director's prep. Mm-hmm. It's a big fucking deal, man. I've only done my first pass in 88 pages. It took me three weeks. Well, the thing that's been so lovely with reading Judah's book is beforehand, I would always go, how do I, how do I tell that this was a good directing in this movie? How do I tell? Is it Lucy? Okay, here's a performance. Um, mm-hmm. I like the dialogue. I like the story. So it's a good script. But how do I tell, oh, yeah, that's good. That was a good directing job. And by reading her book or listening to her book, rather, it's informed that so much. And now when I watch things, I can start to still don't fully have a grasp, but but started to see, oh, okay, yeah, I could see where maybe they lacked here or, oh, this, they really shine with this thing here in terms of directing. It's just nice to have that grasp of it because then if you understand it more, you can respect it more. And then you break that down to like the minutia of the scene Mm -hmm. where you're watching scenes. So if you watch like a real dog shit movie, a movie that you don't like, then you process it down to the details and you sit there and go, well, this movie didn't show up right because the scenes suck. And there yeah. are so many scenes that are like, what's the emotional event in this scene? What does it fucking do? It doesn't do anything. Is it just an exposition scene? Are these characters even looking at each other? Are they interacting mm. with each other? 
Like, what is the transition from here? Yeah. Like, none of that exists in this. Oh, she talks about the characters wanting something from each other. Mm-hmm. I think that there's an important thought that a scene in, in its core value, all a scene is is a reason for two people to communicate with each other. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I think she even says that in the book, actually. Yeah. It's, it's, it cuts right to the, to the facts. Yeah. You know? Because that's what you're doing. And then as a director or as a writer or as a storyteller, you're just trying to create enough of these scenarios in which you can see how two people conflict. Mm. You can see the give and take, the ebb and flow between two individuals. What is the objective of one individual? What is the objective of the other individual? How do they get to that point? And then as a director, you can start to throw wrenches in that, mm. that system where it's like, I forget uh, one of the things, the descriptions in her book where it was like a director who said to talent, like, you're not allowed to stand until you reach your objective. Yeah. That's fascinating. You're yeah. not allowed to, you know, turn away. You can't break eye, what if you can't break eye contact with them until you get what you need from mm -hmm. the scene? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. And then, then you're talking about actionable stuff and then Judith was correctly correcting me mm. when I was saying you should do this or this should be the way. This book does not give you a list of answers. This book does mm -hmm. not give you a list of things. All my prep I'm doing isn't shit that is right. Yeah. It's just prep. It's giving you, are you arming yourself with options, right? And, yeah. And, and we talk about directing be like, you know, herding cats or putting out fires. And, you know, you know that things are never really going to go wrong or you're, you're going to hit the wall at some point with something. And just having all those options or those plans and those strategies in your belt, it's like, just like we're acting like we're something like that. What the hell is that? <laughs> right, right on the porch. <laughs> I was like, what is that? I love that it went up a few octaves. <laughs> and it's done. And that's it. And no crescendo. Yeah. Welcome. Uh, but yeah, it's just arming yourself with enough strategies and, and tools for if anything does go wrong, if you do run out of ideas, you know, it's the same thing with acting. Like you have, okay, have multiple objectives. So if one doesn't work or mm -hmm. you can have something else to go to. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree, dude. And, and, and at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is just arm ourselves with options. Yep. That's it. That's it. Because then when you're on set, everything is so organic yeah you know and so and it can be it, fast so sometimes you don't have the chance to like sit down and go okay let me hem and haul over it exactly and then hemming and hauling over it oftentimes ruins it mm -hmm. which is interesting mm -hmm. so anyway so many great things to say about this book go check it out pick it up right now um lance thanks for being on the show dude thanks so much for having me um you've been listening to the show what's what's your recent favorite episode of the show put you on the spot <laughs> I think the last one, actually, I have to catch up. I think the last one I listened to was the um, the guys that do the albums. Oh, the, 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 the Mondo dudes. The Mondo guys, yeah, that was the last one I listened to. Yeah, that one came out really I'm great. Behind. Dude, they sent me, okay, they sent me an email yesterday. Let me see if I can pull it up. They're going to sponsor you and give you some records? <laughs> so, <laughs> I've... I've said this on the show that uh, one of the reasons why why I got those guys in the show is because I'm such a I'm such a uh, record nerd, and mm -hmm. I was like, cool, we should do a contest for fans, and maybe I'll get some free albums out of it, right? Yeah. And so, I you know, full transparency, everybody. I actually said this to the guys. They go, we'd love to do a contest for stuff. And I go, yeah, it'd be really cool too if you can 
you know, provide some albums to the crew, to the team that works on this yeah. thing, you know, me and Liam, the <laughs> team that works on this thing. And they go, yeah, no, we can't do that. Like, I'm oh, like, no. uh, okay. <laughs> They're like, do you still want to do it? And I go, yeah, of course. I still want to sit down and talk to you guys. You guys are really great. Yeah. Uh, so then I get this email on my thing that says Mondo order confirmed. And I went, oh shit. So I opened it up. I'm like, I didn't order anything from Mondo. So I look through it and I go, items ordered? Oh, the new Back to the Future LP? Oh, awesome. Ooh. Uh, freaked original uh, motion picture soundtrack? Awesome. And I don't even know who Is the that Michael Giancino? Yeah. Oh, man, he's amazing. I don't know anything from him. But these three things show up and I go, are they sending me albums? And then I look at the shipping address and it's like, no, those are going to Douglas, the winner of the contest. They just sent me. They sent me the receipt. <laughs> So, so like, hey, look, look what someone else got. <laughs> so if you're listening to the show, Douglas, they have supposedly shipped them to you. Uh, they are coming your way. Um, and yes, I've seen the receipt and they're not coming to my house. Wait, is this supposed to be a surprise for Douglas what he's getting? Well, it isn't now. It's not anymore. It's not. <laughs> surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> Congratulations on winning our contest with Mondo. And uh, thanks for listening to the show, Lance. Thanks for being on the show. Always, man. No problem. Thank you uh, for having me. You really contributed a lot to today's episode, so it was important. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, and you know the deal. I will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>